0: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Beton and Noam Weissman
2: for the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked, wandering jews as they tackle topics and uncomfortable questions about israel judaism and zionism that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers together with their listeners no matter where you're from if you've ever wondered about anything this is the podcast for you listen to wandering jews with michal and noam on your favorite podcast app today wandering jews is brought to you by unpacked a division of open door media
3: you're ready for a comeback and with purdue global
2: Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. We have an amazing debate special for everybody today. What do we have,
4: Crystal? That's right. We've got all of the biggest moments, all of the worst moments, all of the cringiest moments. Well, the worst moments would be the whole thing. <laughs> it wasn't really a moment. It was just the fact that it happened at all. Um, we've got Ryan and Emily coming in studio to talk about it. We also are going to talk about a couple other stories, including updates on what's going on with Bob Menendez and questions over whether he may have been they may have been attempting to recruit him as as the egyptian government as an intelligence asset we've also got big update for Sagar on oh, the dress code situation our long national yes, nightmare is over thank long, god thank the god. most important issue in this town so you, break break yeah. all of that down for you we've also got um Jake huger is going to be here in studio talking about uh his book and also talking about you know the future for joe biden the democratic mm. party so excited to have him join us as yeah, well
2: yeah that's going to be a lot of fun uh we just want to go ahead and say thank you to everybody's who been taking advantage we've got our debate special discount going on right now we can put that up there on the screen. It's a 10% off our yearly membership. And it's just, uh, we found that, you know, at this time, like these memberships, what you guys are doing, you guys are really helping us not only, you know, fund our ability to do these specials. We've got Ryan and Emily are going to be joining us soon in the studio. All of the late night work. Our crew was up very, very late last night. We're all running on a couple of hours of sleep. We had somebody at the UAW strike just yesterday, you know, on the ground, Jordan Sheridan will be going back um, with us in partnership. So all this stuff is, uh, things that you guys are helping us fund and build here. And we're really, really proud of it. And we're just so proud to be able to have people like you be the sole reason that we're able to do any of it. So breakingpoints.com, once again, you can take advantage of that yearly uh, discount, 10% yep. off. It's the least right we can now. do,
4: um, given yes. the, the state of affairs in this that's country. Right. At right. least we can that's do right. our part to help <laughs> ease the burden.
2: That's correct. Okay. Uh, let's get to the actual debate. So we thought that you know, for many of you, if you didn't actually spend any of the time um, going through this and all that, we wanted to give you a substantive enough recap to be able to take away uh, most of the awful parts which is most of what it, the two hours was let's go ahead and put this up there on the screen just to give everybody an idea this was the overall speaking time um, so what we have here is ron DeSantis clocked in at 12 minutes and 27 seconds this is a big change from last time around vivek ramaswamy at 11 minutes and 53 here's the big change crystal 10 minutes and 42 tim scott tried to have a big night tried yeah. i think being the operative word chris christie 10 minutes and 32 seconds mike pence at 9 35 nikki haley at 9:05. and doug bourbon doug burgum at 7.35, despite uh, certainly not for his uh, best efforts, because that man was interrupting left and right. And that's also why it's a little even difficult, almost honestly, to talk about the speaking time, because how can you count it when they're all talking over each other? And I think that'll be a common theme of what we talk about today. On substance alone, of course, for our show, but really for the whole nation, people wanted to say, what do these uh, people have to say about the UAW strike. And there were some revealing answers and moments from that, and we'll break it down on the other side. Let's take a listen.
5: We should look back at the first bill in Congress under pro Joe Biden. The first bill had $86 billion for the union pensions because they continue to over promise yet under deliver. One of the challenges that we have in the current negotiations is that. They want four day French work weeks, but more money. They want more benefits, working fewer hours. That is simply not going to stand. I'll say this, Joe Biden should not be on the picket line. He should be on the Southern border working to close our Southern border because it
0: is unsafe, wide open and insecure. Patience for the union bosses. I think that's where he and I actually have a common view I do have a lot of sympathy for the workers, however. People are going through real hardship in this country. I've been through hardship growing up. My father stared down layoffs at GE under Jack Welch's tenure at the GE plant in Evendale, Ohio. My mom had to work overtime in nursing homes in Southwest Ohio to make ends meet and pay off our home loan. So I understand that hardship is not a choice but victimhood is a choice and we choose to be victorious in the United States of America. That was the rhetorical
2: difference between the two, Crystal. Tim Scott kind of uh, bringing up basically the, you know, he he already said, he's like, well, if you're on strike, you should be fired. Nikki Haley backed that up. Doug Burgum uh, took a little bit of the Trump line mostly in terms of the electric vehicles. Uh, Vivek, I think, maybe the only candidate on the stage to say I sympathize with the workers' demands. Of course, not coming out and uh, endorsing the cause whatsoever. It's interesting, you know, where we can talk about it now. Uh, American Compass, um, our great friend uh, Orrin Cass of the show, put out some new polling about how Republicans feel about unions. And actually, I thought that Vivek's answer probably split the difference at the best. So Republican voters that they found in their poll, 41% had an approval rating outright for unions, and I think it was 56% that's actually a huge sea change considering that 100% of re- elected republicans are against unions but considering like where that split is and even just in terms of general independent voters Vivek tried to split the difference between the traditional republican line and the emotional sympathy i guess uh, to what they are asking for
4: yeah but in terms of policy it's not like any of them are actually different from each other uh, with regards to Probably unions correct. as far as we know and so yeah i mean this is the this is the extent of the quote-unquote populist shift in the Republican Party, being willing to, you know, sort of say, like, I have a little bit of empathy for the workers even as you're continuing to spout the same, like, corporate talking points about quote-unquote union bosses, but I guess that is a step in the right direction as opposed to Tim Scott who would not only uh, want to fire the workers, but want to uh, allow them to suffer in their old age with no pension uh, after Wall Street (laughs) absolutely destroyed these pension funds during the 2008 crisis. That pension thing, I know it irritates Yes, you two, very much so. it um, irritates me so much because actually the issue is that they didn't bail out these pension funds sooner after a bunch of wall street ghouls basically tanked yes. the central states pensions i mean what he's calling for is like you know retirees to suffer and die penniless after they've been promised a decent pension so anyway that's just like a particular point of contention uh-huh. for me but you know you don't have anybody on that stage who's willing to actually overtly say I back the workers and I back their claims. It's all just rhetorical shifts. OK, but no real substantive difference from the trajectory of Republican policy over many decades, which is something that we'll see, too, in terms of Trump's comments and Trump's speech that yeah. we'll talk to Ryan and Emily We're going to talk later. about
2: that um, in a little bit. You're right. I mean, on the Tim Scott thing, it's just one of the most dishonest things I've honestly ever heard, because he's basically blaming the unions for not having uh, their pensions be 100 percent. One of the reasons why the pensions are underfunded with the mandate is because, as you said, in 2008, they were absolutely destroyed and had had to take a haircut after their hedge fund managers and others and their their benefit managers and some of the other financiers that were involved in the process gambled with their funds. Yes. And a lot of that even traces back to the fact that many pensions had these rules in place. You know, we can go all big short for a while and they're like, OK, you can't invest in anything until it was a triple A rated or whatever. And, but, and when the rating system, though, was rigged, these poor pensioners had their money completely wiped out. And then that happened again, actually, in 2020. And look, I think public sector union and discussion of all that can be a separate thing. But we are talking here about hardworking retirees who it's not that the union promised them, by the way, the company also promised them right. uh, what this was. And the American finance system absolutely wrecked it. That's not the union's fault. If anything, he's making an argument for much more stringent regulation whenever it comes to management of institutional funds of which so many hardworking people rely yeah. Yeah, let me, one one more thing on this because
4: (laughs) this really gets under my skin. So the backstory here is that um, the, the central state's pension fund, this is uh, for Teamsters. So mm-hmm. we're talking mostly about truckers, um, truck drivers, you know, the UPS workers, et cetera. And um, because there had been so much like corruption and mob ties, whatever, with the Teamsters, they had been under government decree. So the government was actually closely scrutinizing watching these pension funds and put these Wall Street ghouls in charge of it that then gambled with the funds. And of course, they have all these incentives rather than putting the money in things that are going to be relatively safe to make. these big bets because they get bigger fees when they do this and this is a consistent problem that we see with pensions and it all goes back to Wall Street greed this pension performed so poorly under the you know supposedly bright minds of Wall Street that it actually did better when Jimmy Hoffa was running it and using it as his personal piggy bank (laughs) that's how poor their performance was when you had like a crook at the top who was stealing from the pension fund the workers actually did better with that (laughs) than when Wall Street was running it, just so you know the backstory.
2: So, well, it raises a more meta question. Who is the real crook? Oh, (laughs) Oh, well. We'll get to that. (laughs) Something that we were alluding to is that one of the reasons, for those who watched will know what we're talking about, it was very difficult to watch. The moderators had no control. The questions were awful. But most importantly, the candidates themselves, it just turned into a total clown show up there. There was so much crosstalk. Very often, I'm talking 10 whole minute blocks. You had no idea who was talking, what was even debated on the stage. We have a little bit of a mashup that we can show you, just to give you a little bit of a taste uh, for those who want to just tune in and be like, okay, so what the hell happened? This is what it was like all night, guys. Let's take a listen.
6: Honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say, hmm. because I can't believe you know, they hear that you got Finney. a TikTok situation. A I, they were there before scene. I even oh. showed up at the yeah. residents you, you are a, scrapping. I'm not you yeah. know here's, i here's a, fact. here's a fact go, go, go. I I go. cut you, taxis, I up our you cars, wanted a gas tax increase and race. Race. then uh, you wanted uh, right. not,
5: a not
2: intend to go ahead like this yeah guys that that it was that times probably like a thousand. And it just wouldn't stop. And honestly, I blame the moderators here probably more than anyone. At one point, Dana Perino uh, was like, we're going to have to cut your mic. I'm like, you should have cut his mic 45
4: minutes ago. Like,
2: what are we doing here? Well, and Uh, they
4: would just let this go on. They didn't even really try to intervene in many instances. And so, of course, that sets the tone for how everyone's going to approach it. You know, Watching it Part of what was so painful about it was, number one, you're right, the moderators yeah, were horrendous. Awful. The question, even putting aside, like, all the fights and crosstalk that you couldn't make sense of what anybody was saying, and it was just a pathetic waste of time, the question selection was really bad. Awful. Because that, actually, that union part that we played you, that was the most substantive part yeah. of the debate. And that was in the beginning. The very <laughs> first question. And you know what? I listened to that question, I was like, oh, maybe yeah. this is going to be interesting. No. It was not going to be interesting because they chose to talk about a lot of issues that all of them agreed with. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they all are going to have the same issue on the border. They're all going to have the same issue on crime. They're going to all have the same issue on quote-unquote transgender issues. All this stuff, like, they, they all are the same on these things. The point of these debates is to try to tease out some of the differences that might be interesting that help people make a choice. So the question selection was terrible. The command of the stage was horrendous. And by the way, this isn't like... The one thing I can say for them, they, like, united the country in disgust. I agree. For the way that this debate went down, because everyone I saw in my timeline, left, right, center, didn't matter, was all, like, this was a horrendous waste of time. And you could see how each of the candidates, you know, they're all getting desperate at this point. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why you had all this, like, ugliness and, like, crosstalk and just smelled of desperation for all of them. You could feel all of them coming in with their, like, consultant- instructions of how they were supposed to be yeah. in the you know, clearly Tim Scott got the message of like, you were too passive last yep. time, you need to be more aggressive. So he was trying to pick fights with people left and right and get in on the action. You can see Vivek, it was kind of the opposite. Clearly, his consultants had been like, you got to dial it back mm. and be it people didn't like you. you were too aggressive, you got to be more conciliatory. Um, there was visceral absolute hatred of Vivek across the stage, but especially from Nikki Haley. (laughs) The thing
2: is about Vivek is he was like, let's all just be conciliatory up on the stage. He's like, look, you know, we're all Republicans. These are all good people. And it's like, dude, last time he literally said they were all bought and paid for. Right. But it's very clear. I know exactly what happened because it's funny. He telegraphed it a little bit too on the nose. He said, I know a lot of you out there are thinking, who is this guy? He's a little bit of a know-it-all. He's a little too ambitious. I was like, oh my God. What happened is clearly they did a focus group. Yes. Those were the top things, and so he's like, "Let me allay their concerns by addressing them head-on." Now, there's a casual way to do it, and it was not the way uh, that he did it. I'm talking about straight (laughs) to cam, looking at them, just being like, "I know that you think that I'm X, Y, and Z, but I'm not X, Y, and Z." And I was like, "Ugh!" It was incredibly cringeworthy, Um, just the way that it was delivered. I think you're right. I mean, so many of them had these poll tests after poll tests after poll tested answers, even the cam attacks you know we gave you guys a flavor there about freaking curtains they were arguing about whether Nikki Haley had purchased too many expensive curtains or whatever for the (laughs) UN ambassador's residence I'm just like oh my god like that is the lamest possible thing I've ever heard in my life um and the entire and this was in the last seven minutes of the debate guys And, and that's that's why it was a very fitting honestly end to the thing we did want to pull one matter of substance. Which was, and honestly, this is probably outside of the questions about Trump, which by the way, we're missing. Why were there no real questions about Trump? Are you going to support him? What do you think about the criminal charges? All this other stuff. One of the areas where they obviously wildly disagree. Uh, On abortion in particular, there were pointed questions about how are you going to handle this considering how much of a poison pill it has become for a lot of voters. Let's take a listen.
5: Because I believe in life, but I also believe in states' rights. And I think we fought hard against Roe versus Wade for decades to say that. states should make these decisions. And
3: I reject this idea that pro-lifers are to blame for midterm defeats. I think there's other reasons for that. Uh, The former president, um, you know, he's missing in action tonight. He's had a lot to say about that. He should be here explaining his comments to try to say that pro-life protections are somehow a terrible thing. I want him to look into the eyes and tell people who've been fighting this fight for a long time.
2: So I actually thought that was an interesting spicy moment. We're gonna talk um, with Ryan and Emily about some of the more overt attacks on Trump, which I of course found very interesting, just about for him not showing up. Um, But I thought that Chris Christie's answer, and you know, he had the best point. He's like, look, I'm the only guy here who is actually a governor of a blue state. And he's like, so obviously, you know, talking states rights it's like that's probably more of a winning element you could see Mike Pence didn't even have the gumption to like jump in there and defend you know his mo- his biggest issue but mm. you also saw and there's that's a big a fight going on right now behind the scenes i don't know if people saw trump gave an interview recently where he basically implied that a lot of pro life movement was grifters he's like they're always raising money i guess it's a business or something like <laughs> that something going but on I just, I every time with him i'm just like hey you know i mean he's definitely <laughs> right but it's one of those where it's just funny always to hear some say that it's just look to me that's one of his political strengths he can piss off supposedly one of the most vital parts of the coalition I saw a poll yesterday crystal which says that GOP voters believe that Trump is the person of most faith in the entire race <laughs> yeah I mean that's why you know he could get away with it oh if God. he wants to I mean I don't know who these people are in full of themselves and by the way if you're like a Christian and you're like well I think he's the leader who will accomplish what I want most fine But to be like, no, 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 you know what? That's a God-fearing man right there. That's a whole other level of delusion. Yeah, Yeah. I mean,
4: and that, listen, when I look at Donald Trump and I look at these other candidates, I feel like, okay, he is the person who got these justices in place and accomplished the long-term goals. Exactly. I do think—I mean, he is the one that opened up this new, in my opinion, absolutely horrific, unconscionable landscape, um, which has been devastating for Republicans at the polls um, when people have actually gone and voted. But— If you're someone who that issue was core, you know, I do think he gets a lot of credit for that. And so it does give him a lot of bandwidth to say things that other politicians couldn't get away with. And it's Donald Trump. He gets away with saying things all the time that other politicians couldn't get away with. Um, So, you know, they're still trying to navigate this issue. I thought I actually thought Chris Christie did a little bit better last night than he did yeah. in the first debate. Yeah, did, but it's yeah, just well. very hard. Listen, the winner of this debate was Donald Trump. No question. Or like Asa Hutchinson for not making the stage yeah. and not having All to participate right. in Good this point. madness. But um, the, the thing that always stands out to me too is while there were some jabs at Trump about him not being there or whatever, they trained way more of their fire on, them, on each other. Each other. On Vivek and Nikki in particular. And Nikki, you know, she's the one candidate who got a little bit of a bump mm-hmm. from the first debate so clearly, Tim Scott in particular had it out, like, I gotta I gotta take her down, I gotta be the donor favorite, you know, I gotta rise in the polls and, you know, make have my moment or whatever, which he's just not an attacker, it's not natural to him, and he didn't land any of it effectively, really. Right. Um, you know, a lot of jabs at Vivek, who also has, you know, sort of hung in there as like a, a solid third, he's risen to be about third place in the most polls behind Ron DeSantis, and so there was a lot of fire trained at him, still not a lot of fire trained at Ron DeSantis, for whatever reason, but you're just looking at this. This is part of why this whole thing feels so pointless. It's like the guy who is overwhelmingly winning, you're barely talking about him and you're barely, barely punching at him whatsoever. And these attacks on, like, I wish, I wish it was a potent attack to be like, you're not here and you should justify yourself to the voters. I've just never seen it actually really be politically salient, really land a strong political blow, um, because I've, I've seen this attempt many times because oftentimes incumbents, unfortunately, right. feel like they don't have to debate and they would lower themselves to have to talk to the voters or have to meet their challenger. And, you know, challengers always try to make an issue of it. I've just yeah. never really seen it work out. We
2: had a poll from our friends over at Jail Partners. Uh, that they did for the Daily Mail, and unsurprisingly, people basically felt the same way that we did. They say, quote, who is the real winner of the second presidential debate? Number one, Donald Trump, 27%. Number two, Vivek Ramaswamy at 26%. It's funny, I, I'm not sure I agree with that or not. In, a, in a, a traditional way, I do, just because I'm always like, okay, if the new guy is getting fire and he's getting the second amount of speaking time, yeah. that's the metric that I used last time around. Guess what, didn't matter at all. Literally, hasn't seen a single uh, rise in a poll, a substantive poll on in any average that we saw afterwards, so, yeah. okay. Uh, Then Ron DeSantis at 17%, and then a smattering of Nikki Haley's, Mike Pence's, Tim Scott's, Chris Christie's. I mean, outside of the loser, again, being all of us who (laughs) wasted our time on this uh, entire thing, I don't think Nikki Haley came off particularly well last night. I'm curious what you think. I thought that she came uh, across—it was a canned moment where she tried to go against Vivek. She was trying to recreate her moment of, like, you don't have any foreign policy experience, and it shows. Uh, With the, like, uh, you know, every time you say—every time you speak, I feel dumber. Yeah, or something like that. I, I did not find anything that she, I didn't, she didn't have a moment. She and didn't. to be honest, none of them really had moments. No, there yeah. was
4: it very hard to point to any breakout right. moment from anyone, yeah. really. there was, It was just a mess. The whole thing was just a mess. No one stood out. And so I agree with you on Nikki Haley. You know, I thought she had um, putting the substance aside because I did a whole thing Mm -hmm. about like her foreign policy, I think is atrocious, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I thought she had a strong first debate and I thought she really exceeded expectations. I thought she was smart. She was strong. She was clear. She was unafraid of mixing it up. I thought she was the one person who really kind of put Vivek in his place, you know, and had won the exchange, even Mm -hmm. again, putting the substance of the, the issue aside. And she needed a follow-up performance. She needed to show it wasn't a flash in the pan. She needed to consolidate that increase in the polls, that bump in fundraising interest that she had after the first debate. And she failed to do that. So in that way, I do sort of feel like maybe she's the biggest loser just because she had something to lose here uh, in terms of being the new donor favorite, the new media darling, etc. And she definitely did not deliver a similar level of performance as she did in the first debate. You know what it reminds me a little bit of? Mm. Kamala Harris.
2: Yes, absolutely.
4: She had that first debate uh, back in 2020. That little girl was me. She had the whole moment. She delivered it well. It had an impact. She genuinely went up in the polls. We forget now, but she went up in the polls. That was her highest level during the whole campaign. And so it was like, oh, maybe she can, you know, build on this. Mm -hmm. And then there was never another moment because – You know, those those scripted attack lines, those scripted, uh, you know, sort of like fakely generated moments, they're hard to pull off more than once. Yes. So I feel like Nikki was able to pull it off in the first one and the second one not able to land it and just ended up looking less adult, less presidential. Part of that is she was taking more incoming from other people or whatever. But I do think that this – if you had to pick a loser, I would probably pick Nikki Haley um, outside of, like, literally everyone. I because I agree. I think I could see her slipping back in the polls and, you know, it being a little more muddled who is going to be the donor favorite going forward. And the reality is, too, I think a lot of these donors who were hoping to have a Trump alternative are kind of giving up at this oh, point. Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, and they should give up. I mean, look, in the current, you know, real clear politics average – Where do uh, Trump stand? He stands at 56%. Ron DeSantis doesn't even come close. He's at 14.4%. Haley then is number three at 5'8", and Ramaswamy is at 5'1" even in Iowa, and for anybody who wants, we did a breakdown on this as well during our debate preview. Trump in Iowa is at 49, DeSantis is at 16. Trump in New Hampshire is at 44, Haley is at 13. I mean, we're looking at a clean sweep really across everywhere. Another uh, thing that people are forgetting in the Republican primary, the California primary is now in Super Tuesday, and the current allocation of the vote count looks like Trump is going to sweep every single delegate, out of California which would effectively clinch the nomination like 3 weeks into the actual primary. Yeah. The calendar right now and the way the primary process is works in terms of the allocation of delegates and all that this man it will it will not be in any way like a long contest. It's yeah. not going to be Obama 2008. It's not going to be, you know, Clinton in 92 or W even in 2000. It's just like it almost seems over before it began which is it's difficult, you know, in order to treat it with this level of seriousness, this all just made me really think of like watching a JV squad, like a JV squad practice. That's what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Yeah, that is
4: absolutely what it felt like. And it's depressing, you know, as people who care about politics and think this stuff matters and, you know, want to like sort through the policy differences and have people we actually potentially like respect and admire to be possibly Mm -hmm. president of the United States. It's depressing that on neither side do you have a real contest. You know, I do think it's like a bigger meta point about the decline of our democracy that makes you feel like, like, do we even have any real choices here? Mm -hmm. Um, because neither of the front runners, Joe Biden or, uh, Donald Trump are willing to actually subject themselves to democratic process and there's nothing to force them to. And, uh, so it, it's very, every other presidential election in my whole life you've had these debates mean something and matter. And even though they can be silly and political theater and they're all putting on makeup with their can, talking points, (laughs) whatever, at least there was something there to talk about. There was some sense that these issues were consequential, that you had people that were weighing them, that what they said on the stage might matter at all, and now you just don't have any of that whatsoever. And so it really is depressing. I think it's a sign of the decay and decline of our society, frankly. Sad
2: as uh, one politician who uh, was not there like, <laughs> once had to say. We've got Ryan and Emily standing by. We're going to have a nice power panel. We're going to have them in for the rest of the show. We're just going to have a lot of fun. Uh, so we'll post this one a little bit early, both for our premium subscribers and for everybody else. Everybody else, stay tuned. We're going to have a lot of great content for the rest of the day. We'll see you in a bit.
4: So we brought in some backup here. Ryan and Emily are uh, joining our big power, power, pan. power panel, that's right. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> to, to evaluate all of the wonderful moments from this uh, debate that was just uniformly loved last night. Uh, welcome, guys. Great to see you both. Thanks Good for having you. us. Um, so we wanted to start with what was perhaps the defining moment and, and the most significant moment of the debate, which is when, for some unknown reason, Tim Scott decided to pick a fight with Nikki Haley mm-hmm. over curtains, mm-hmm. sexist. Which yes. got ex- yes, good point, you. good yes. point, Emily. That's on um, part? Which got yeah. extremely heated. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a listen to how this all went down and we'll get reaction on the other side.
5: As the UN ambassador, you literally
6: bring it. Put in.
5: fifty thousand dollars <laughs> on curtains in <laughs> a fifteen million dollar subsidized location. Next.
6: You got bad information. First of all, I fought the gas tax in South Carolina multiple times against the just establishment. Go you, just go to YouTube. Against the establishment. You, just go to and YouTube. And you want to know what that yourself. 10 cent yep. was? When they wouldn't pass the gas tax, the establishment and the companies wanted me to do it so much that I said the only way I will Here's pass it is if you will give you have three, have three.
5: All you have me. to do is go watch Nikki Haley on YouTube. If, yes.
6: if you will give me three times the deduction in income tax, then I will look at your gas so tax, you said which yes, is why it didn't happen. Secondly, exactly, secondly on the 50 here's, million. The, here is
5: a nice part.
6: Secondly, on the uh, curtains, do your yes. homework, Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them it, back? It's in the. Press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them, back? You send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh no, my gosh. Gotcha. You get it. You time. hung them on your your, your curtains. I, they on were there curtains. before I even showed up at the residence. You here's, are scrapping. Here's you are, a, scrapping. A, you I'm are a, scrapping. I'm not SCRAPPING. it. You know here's fact. Here's taxes. a fact, though. I cut that. He said, You wanted a.
4: They, they, were, a, they, they were, a, were Obama curtains, Emily.
2: Women <laughs> yes. shopping. Women Obama be shopping.
7: Well,
4: let's not um, act
7: like Obama didn't hang the curtains in here.
2: Yes, uh, that's right. I mean, I thought, guys, that it just really, the reason we picked it is that was seven minutes left. That was in lieu, by the way, of closing statements yes. from the candidates, which is what's actually so insane. That was better than closing um, statements. And, yeah. and <laughs> true, yet, true. that's what they chose to go with. I mean, Emily, why do you th- so Tim Scott, obviously, feeling a bit insecure, also from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Everybody said, oh, you played too much of a nice guy last time. You gotta land some blows. But, like, what makes people think that this is actually, substantively, or even, like, tonally going to land with any voters who are even watching at 10.50 p.m. Yes. last night? So much yeah. to, yeah. yeah.
7: F- f- first First of all, I think that Tim Scott sees yeah. his main attack on Nikki Haley as being that she's some sort of corporate welfare queen, which mm. is true, by the way, yeah, she's like a queen of crony crap capitalism. But she that's t- clearly Tim Scott saying like, if there's a way for me to distinguish myself from this other very popular person from South Carolina in South Carolina, it's to call her some sort of co- corporate welfare queen to say she loves federal money. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if it's going to make any difference. I think we all know it's not going to make any difference. They're both jockeying to see if somehow a lane opens up where they can squeeze into second place at some point. DeSantis fails. They're able to, someone you know wins Iowa, New Hampshire, and somehow, listen, Donald Trump is up by like, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. But if yeah. you're going for second place, that's how Tim Scott sees in the off chance that he and Nikki Haley end up jockeying for <laughs> second place. <laughs> yeah. That's his line of attack against Nikki Haley, and that was a preview of it. I liked the go.
4: Okay. Ryan, right. if anyone would know, do you know the backstory? Not that it matters, but do you know the backstory of this whole curtain situation? Because I don't even like digging into the recesses of my memory. I don't remember this particular little mini scandal. My,
1: my vague recollection is that Obama, the Obama administration, had done some renovations for the, mm. the UN uh, facilities. That yes,
2: the UN ambassador's residence. U.S. ambassador's find. residence. Yeah.
7: Okay. And
1: so I think Why the key question exist? is: You're mm. appointed ambassador to the UN. You show up. Obama has bought these nice curtains.
7: Mm.
1: You hate Obama? you think he's born in Kenya?, yes. you know, he should have been impeached. Okay but the curtains are lovely. (laughs) So
2: you mm, keep the the, curtains. what do you do? The deep
4: moral dilemma. By the way,
2: the apartment is very nice. I actually saw some pictures of it. Uh, Samantha Power did a great job, although apparently she spent a lot of money. Women Uh, be shopping. (laughs) as you said, women be shopping. I can't stomach any more of this ridiculous uh, convo, so let's actually get to the so-called substance of this, which was Trump's actual attack, uh, or the attack at least uh, on Trump for not showing up. We saw a pointed moment from a couple of the candidates, one in particular trying to make Something happened which really wasn't happening at all. Uh, let's take a listen.
3: They need to change what's going on. And where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing an action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record where they added $7.8 trillion
5: to the debt. That set the stage for the inflation that we have now. I get in Washington, D.C. also. And Donald Trump should be here to answer for that, but he's not. And I want to look at that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight. Not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's gonna happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is gonna call you Donald Trump anymore. We're gonna call you Donald Duck.
4: All right. I wanna
2: ask Donald. Uh, uh, the grin that he gave himself. You know, Crystal, I feel like he could have just cut it right before the whole Donald Duck. You know, it, it was, was a, so good. It was, it was a was, good yeah, wind-up.
4: And yeah. the crowd was with him. <laughs> yeah. And they were sort of, like, engaged. And then he land, he throws out this Donald Duck line. It was just like, Everyone's oh, like, oh. <laughs> like
2: collective bro. Boomer belly flop. So, uh,
4: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, I mean, listen, there were a few, like, jabs, mostly around the fact that Trump wasn't there. But they spent way more time attacking each other, Ryan. And it's not like... Any one of them is anywhere close to Donald Trump at this point. So it just feels it all feels very weak to me in terms of how far they're willing to go. And you contrast that with, you know, the things Trump is willing to say about DeSantis or any of them. You know, he's out now his his new line, which you can't help but laugh at because that's just how it is with Donald Trump. He's out there like Ron DeSantis has fallen off as fast as a wounded bird from yeah. the sky. Like, that's the stuff he's willing to say it Yeah, yeah, it's poetry. And DeSantis yeah. yeah. feels like he's really, like, going hard when he's yeah. like, where is he? He should be here, he should you know? Wait, did he say not? wounded? Okay, because he yeah. called, he called Joe Biden yesterday a wretched old vulture. Oh. Mm, so yeah. so the a, bird, a bird
7: so he's yeah. Yeah. yeah,
4: well, he's I mean, always been interested in the birds with the windmills. That's true. That's true. Now we brought oh, the whales right. into, whale concern into the windmill situation as well.
2: Dogs to him. Uh, oh, that's true. He doesn't like dogs, but oh, really? I mean, substantively, and like, everything's like a dog. Substantively, like, mm. like a dog.
1: yeah, indeed. Substance. Yeah, I mean, it should have been Donald. Uh, Donald Dodge, maybe. Mm. Uh, yeah, that, that, like that, that could have worked. Okay. But yes, not showing. Don't up. do
4: the nicknames. Yeah. It's yeah. Trump's thing. I know. No. Just don't do the nicknames. But
1: they're all so bad that they made Trump look great again. Mm. It's just, it's just remarkable, and it, it reminded me almost of 2016. All of these clowns mm. just trying to like throw spitballs at him right. like it, and just none of it works. They're like trying to talk substance and looking like normal candidates, even though what they're saying is completely empty and mm-hmm. nobody believes it. And then in the face of his like presentation to these uh, auto executives or whoever showed up at this non-union plant, it just, it just pales in comparison. Even, yeah. even Trump, when he's doing his, like, like I sent you guys, his, yeah. his ridiculous story, his ridiculous yeah. story yeah. about the well, Air don't, Force One Don't tease him just yet. See, <laughs> right. like, uh, so like, te- that yeah, nonsense is even more fun right. than anything that these guys had to offer.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Emily, do you think, though, that there is... Was there a way to make that in a better way? That, I mean, I thought DeSantis handled it fine, but, I mean, it's just difficult to, to gauge it. It's like, dude, you're pulling a 14%. The guy's beating you by 40 points. Like, Realistically, was there anything he could have done outside side of that, uh, you know, quote unquote, land on something on Trump, get some Trump people over, you know, to his uh, his corner here? I'm not sure sure if there is, because I almost feel like he's playing a a rigged game at this point. Yeah, I think it's a good
7: question. And actually, the answer is, I think he could continue to more successfully use this will be controversial, mm. the tack that Vivek took in mm. the very first debate where he's talking about Donald Trump. And of course, you get into these questions of like, well, if Trump was such a great president, when are you yeah. running? Well, Ron DeSantis can answer that question because he was governor of Florida and uh, had yeah. high popularity. So that's the, the DeSantis approach where he's actually trying to appeal to like never Trump people mm-hmm. instead of just Trump curious and hardcore Trump people, which is you absolutely need. Yeah, you need to win them. grassroots of the Republican primary. He always should have been way less in the never Trump camp and way more. And, and you, you will automatically be put in the never Trump camp if you criticize Donald Trump constantly. Mm-hmm. And I know that's hard in a Republican primary, but from a, a political strategy, his consultants had months to figure this out. Yeah, and it's pretty obvious. You're gonna immediately lose the trust of those voters because they see him being, indictments being stacked up against Donald <coughs> Trump. Whatever we think of it, the voters see that as an attack on him. Yep. It's about like solidarity
4: with Trump. You know, I actually have been uh, a little bit persuaded that some of the early attacks that DeSantis was trying to do on Trump with regard to COVID and Fauci were probably the best lane for him. Hmm. The issue is, I mean, the timing just, everybody's moved on. Yeah, it's 2023. But I think think if you had a different universe where that was still like the beating heart of what was going on in the Republican Party— and then you're really beating up on Fauci versus beating up on Trump. Mm. And we did see this with our focus group. Mm-hmm. You know, the one That's area right. where every there were a couple who were, you know, disgusted with Trump, they didn't want Trump anymore, and they were very clear about it. And this, it was New Hampshire, right? So you you have that strain there. Um, but even the people who were Trump supporters, the one thing that a number of them brought up that they had issues with his administration was around the handling of COVID. Mm-hmm. So I do think that was probably, like, the most promising attempt And like I said, rather than it feeling like you were just dumping on Trump, you could have used Fauci as like, you know, the guy that you're beating up on and then why did and you like, why didn't you fire him? Why'd you keep him there, et cetera, et cetera? Um, That's probably the most promising line of attack for him still. But it's just a little late because, like I said, people have moved on. COVID feels like a long time ago. One thing at this to point.
2: back you up is it's clearly where the Trump people feel very uncomfortable. They feel so vulnerable yesterday, there. Yesterday, or maybe a couple of days ago, at this point, Carrie Lake I, would she go on Patrick Bet David's show she, and she accused Desantis. She was like, he was masking kids, he was doing <laughs> the lockdown, and it was like, uh, and it kind of came out of nowhere. And a lot of the Desantis people actually got very upset. She ended up uh, moving on, being like, let's all just agree to, you know, it, it's okay. <laughs> Covid was a long time ago. I'm like, well, why did you bring it up? That lady is. That wild. said, uh, you know, <laughs> she's the attack dog. She's she basically she doesn't live in Arizona. She lives in Mar a Lago, from what I've heard. The mm. lady there literally every night. So clearly, she's talking with Trump. She's talking with the Trump advisors. And so, Emily, I mean. Clearly, they feel some vulnerability there oh, yeah. on the Fauci and COVID handling. Even though, I mean, frankly, on the substance, I've always thought, you know, with Trump, I'm like, yeah, like we live in a federalist system such that DeSantis could do whatever he wanted to do, yeah. which is also why California could do what they wanted to do. What is the president supposed to do? But that's a whole other conversation.
7: Well, you, yeah. when Megyn Kelly started her interview with Trump, uh-huh. she said, the number one thing I wanted to hear from my audience, people who like you, is why you shut the country down that's for true. so that's long. True and yeah. he freaked out. He did yeah. not yeah. want to answer that question. Huh. and didn't have a good answer to that question to the point where actually I was on Megan's show yesterday and she was pulling out the receipts, like tweets that Trump posted in the time period when he was like, oh, you know, it was right. all good. Like I was uh, delegating it to the governors. So I think it is. You're absolutely right. Both of you are absolutely right. Mm. That has always been. But it's tough because it's now 2023 and the hits don't land like they did in 2021 and 2022 yeah. because now the country sort of moved on high inflation, war in Ukraine. It's a different political climate. So that's always been a problem for DeSantis. Yeah,
2: I think you're right. I mean, just to stay on the debate, you know, continue. I I just, uh, I, we were talking about it a little bit before. I was curious what you guys thought in terms of the questions. I mean, they kept teeing them up for areas where there was no, actual debate they're like what do you think about crime they're like I think crime is bad yeah. I, I love mean, police officers yeah, and I hate <laughs> crime I mean like, wow what? that was
4: really revealing what <laughs>
2: difference would they all have to, like where they have no area of disagreement on transgenderism on crime really on anything abortion honestly there probably is some disagreement yeah. so I'm glad they spent some time there the economy UAW I mean a little bit you know ish but and, uh, frankly I would have liked to dug a little bit deeper in there and tax Agreed. policy and like because there probably is some difference around top tax rates etc but we didn't get any of that guys like even the, my Oh, yeah, you I'm know, sorry.
4: the government shutdown is, like, yes, thank kind you. of a big <laughs> deal Are right two now. Two questions, maybe. And yeah. y- two questions that yeah. nobody even really addressed. Nobody and the moderators about McCarthy. didn't press them. Yeah. Oh, that's and great. that's another area where there could be real divides between the McCarthy ac- approach and the Matt Gates' mm-hmm. approach and what Donald Trump has said and whatever. And they did nothing to try to tease any of that out.
1: And did you notice that the premise of a lot of the questions was left-wing?
4: Oh, yes. Yes. Well, From the, yes. Yes. Which <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, 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 I sort of, of enjoyed was, that first.
1: It was, it was kind of funny. Well, of course <laughs> you did, yeah, But it's it's like, like, I also knew it was pointless. It's yeah, exactly. Like if, you, yeah. if you tell someone, hey, you know, executive pay is 377 right. times as right. much as workers, what are you going to do about that? Like, they're not doing anything about mm. that. So it's like well, sort of a pointless question. But it's fun to hear it said out So I thought
2: that framing was fine. I wouldn't even necessarily code that as left-wing. That's true. Just because because I think that one, that's like an empirical fact. So, like the other ones, though, where I don't, I don't know, on amnesty or slavery. Some of the, yeah, slavery. I'm just like, okay, like what? This is a Chris Hayes interview? Like, what are we doing here? I have uh, no
7: problem with them getting yeah. tough
2: questions, but it's a Republican yeah, debate.
7: Exactly.
1: You should that's have people right. that are right. able
4: to bring out the contrast in yeah. Republican countries. Right, because they're not
1: responding to a left wing premise. They just like blow past it. But
4: right. you know, if yeah. you think about it, yeah, they definitely did just blow past it. I actually don't mind uh-huh. the framing from an adversarial position. If you think about it, though, no one would think anything of. Democratic debate questions being framed from like a corporate. That's true. Respect. We're so we're
1: so has, used, we're so it's used true. To Seeing that we're just used to that <laughs> being the
4: case of like you're going to spend too much money on Medicare or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like they're always framed How that way on the Democratic it? side. So you know maybe this is just hey, a little you know, bit of that's, that's actually a like good it. point. Yeah. If, so you you're cultural, if you're going <laughs> to phrase <laughs> it
2: to your uh, if you're going to phrase it in an adversarial way, then I mean that's you know pro- if, and especially if it's going to be like that on the other side of the debate, then I actually think you know maybe I revise my position. Yeah, it's more about. Let's get some goddamn disagreement. Right. Yeah, exactly. These that's, that's, that's exactly. The key. The it's bait? like yeah. they didn't
7: know where to bring out contrast to uh-huh. Republican candidates, and that's—I mean—that's when you're using left-wing framing on the questions. I was no problem with that whatsoever, uh-huh. but there, it wasn't in towards any helpful end. Right.
4: Like the right. conversations were constructive. The right. weird thing is too that this was a, a Fox Business and Univision um, debate, but they did very little on the economy. And mm-hmm. which is, you know, one thing if you're going to go into topics where, again, there's going to be some debate and disagreement, but there will actually be more debate and disagreement around some of these economic issues. I mean, you also have, you know, big things happening in the antitrust world that yep. they could have gotten into. Google like, lawsuit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. But, the, yeah. you know, the, the government shutdown being a, a huge example of this, that's just totally invisible. And so by skipping over their own, what's supposed to be the core of what, Fox Business, I guess, is all about, talking about the economy, business, et cetera, um, they really left a lot on the table in terms of some of the more interesting divides that could have been in this debate.
1: But is that because they don't like to disagree about the economy? Like That's Fox, an interesting point. Fox Business has so basically oh, an ideology that goes unspoken and is just assumed. Well, it was
4: <laughs> in the you know Ronald Reagan library. Ronald or Reagan, all like all the Ronald their, Reagan nostalgia. That's was their ideology,
1: so. and if you start asking them about it, you're going to get a bunch of them who are going to give populist answers, <laughs> even if they don't believe it, and then, and then it, that's an... Awkward moment for the, Fox Business.
7: That's true. You could ask a question. Actually, this would have been perfect. This is such a good point. This is a, a huge point because Reagan, Japan, tariffs, you're at the Reagan Library. Uh-huh. True. The single point of disagreement that almost every single one of those candidates have, with the guy who is up by 40 points and just gave a speech literally on economic nationalism. It's a phrase that he used when he was talking yeah. at the, the non-union plant, economic nationalism. He just gives this big speech, and you don't draw out the contrast between all of the candidates. And that big, like the single divide, the biggest divide between them and him on policy is that he is out there talking about economic nationalism. Whether or not you believe he'll deliver mm-hmm. on it is a different debate. But that speech was the new right in an in address. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so huh. to not push them on that, I th- now that you guys brought that up, I think that is actually a huge mistake.
2: It's an important point, and it's also one where, you know, Tra- Pence was trying. He's like, we cannot fall to the siren song of populism and, like, all this other stuff that he's uh, bringing. You're wondering you can't why can't he's on the wing of, of the yeah. stage. It's very interesting. You can't have a uh, meal alone with populism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, that, <laughs> I,
2: you, I forgot that he made that joke about how he's been sleeping with a teacher for 30 years. About so Joe Biden like, sleeping yeah, with
4: a teacher. Like, well, 38, Christy, 38 years. 30. Christy brought That's it up for Eight first. more years it of sex. So it, it was so, so wrong. Needs to wrong. Stop. Everyone stop. I hated that. Oh, no. I, I, I didn't like when he mentioned
8: the Biden really
2: thing. Yeah, he should
1: have gotten five minutes off the stage.
8: Yeah. <laughs> That's time
7: I would do it. But you could see Pence debating whether or not to say it. Like the wheels were turning in his head. He like sort of slowed down. And yeah, if you missed this moment, he said chris Christie said that he had been right. uh, biden sl- had been sleeping with a teacher for years referring to yes. dr to make jill a, like, Biden, teacher right. union point exactly it was super bad and then mike pence is like kind of looking in the camera right. and he's like well i've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 yeah. years and then there was a pause and everyone was like
2: is that real Did that actually just happen uh, both of you off for 5 minutes
7: yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> right. call the police this oh, is terrible yeah. why don't we call let's move on to
2: <laughs> let's move on
4: to <laughs> Um, Okay, so as we know, we had uh, Trump in another location at this non-union plant with people who, some of whom may be workers or a bunch of people who were interviewed who said, you know, I'm not union, I'm not an auto worker or whatever. (laughs) Um, And making some very interesting comments about the ongoing United Auto Workers strike, basically telling the workers that they don't understand what they're doing and they're picking the wrong targets. Take a listen to what he had to say.
8: In other words, your current negotiations don't mean as much as you think. I mean, I watch you out there with the pickets, but I don't think you're picketing for the right thing. But if they endorse me, your leadership, you can tell them I said it, although I have a feeling they may be watching tonight. Ryan, what did you make at this moment?
4: Uh, and he
1: goes on and on and on and on. Yes, about of how- course he does about how the UAW leadership ought to endorse him and if he does it's, it's, the auto industry is just going to explode and if he doesn't then it's all going to be get, get driven into EVs and they'll mm-hmm. all be out of work uh, it, 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 I think he doesn't understand I, I get it he's talking to the whole country yeah but if, if he was actually serious about talking to the auto workers he could have addressed the actual concerns that the auto workers are having which is, and they're saying what, what we're striking over is we want protections for the future EV jobs. And I think a lot of auto workers and a lot of people around the country know that, yes, there are incentives in federal law put in by the IRA to mm-hmm. move people, you know, to move the industry quicker away from the internal combustion engine. But I don't think anybody thinks that absent that, that 50 years from now it's going to be just a thriving industry. Mm. Like, you're just, mm. just kind of shouting into a void at that point. I think everybody knows, like, this is over. Like, we're moving toward electric vehicles. Mm. So the Uh, question is, how do we transition?
2: So I think the answer to that is correct. I don't know if it will be 100%, and we've talked a lot about it on the show, but I'm curious, actually, this is a tactical point I've been trying to save, and I want to get your guys' take, and I'll include mine as well. UAW President Sean Fain was asked whether he was going to meet with Trump, and here's what he had to say. Quote, I see no point in meeting with him because I don't think the man has any bit of care about our workers stand for, what the working class stands for, and he serves the billionaire class. So I am curious if you guys think it was tactically, it's a good move. We don't know what percentage." UAW workers exactly voted for Trump. I would venture to guess what, 30, 40%, something like that? 40% probably higher. is too generous. So it's somewhere. You think around maybe it's that. higher? Um, probably higher, yeah. yeah. It might be oh, higher. Okay, okay, so it's okay, so it might it, be higher. It, right. it, 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 higher. Depen- it depends. Do, is it a yeah. tactical move then to outright, is a good move to outright like trash a candidate who maybe at least a decent portion of your membership? is going to vote for or did vote for in the past. I'm not saying he may not be substantively correct, but is explicitly aligning yourself with the Democratic Party the correct thing to do when you're going to embrace Biden and then explicitly move Trump aside, which it only gives him even more of an incentive to trash union leadership. I'm curious what you guys ha- yeah. uh,
4: have to well, say. Well, I mean, I think yep. it forgets the fact that they pointedly did not endorse Biden mm-hmm. when a lot of the other unions well, did. They just had so he's hand. been very yeah. critical yeah. of Joe Biden. but. You know, I don't think we give these workers enough credit for understanding the lay of the land. Auto working manufacturing jobs went down under Trump. He made a lot of promises to these. I mean, went to Lordstown uh-huh. and went to all of these different, you know, places that have historic Uh, union auto plants and told them, don't sell your homes, the jobs are coming back. And it did not happen. Now, I think that that is a big part of the reason why he won Michigan in 2016 Mm. and lost Michigan in 2020. And also, we don't talk enough about the fact that Mm. actually Joe Biden doubled the margin that Hillary Clinton still won union workers. Joe Biden doubled that margin in 2020. And I think it's exactly because more than anyone, they're tuned into the distance between the rhetoric And the reality and yeah. listen I'm you know I think there was a lot of bait and switch going on with Trump and the way this event was portrayed and what it actually was which it, in reality it was an anti union event I and mean, he was Could invited the there by like
2: Crystal I don't think we were able yeah, to talk about so he was,
4: he was invited oh, yeah. by management to mm-hmm. this non-union shop um, you know there were wire, yeah. and some of the people who helped organize the mm-hmm. event we know were affiliated with the national right to work movement which is like the union busting movement some of the workers that were interviewed in the crowd that we're even holding up the like union workers for Trump signs. We're not union, so I mean it was just obviously very different than what was portrayed. And Ryan, you pointed out I mean, most of it was just like a normal campaign speech. It was so. a rally, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, many of these details may not seep through to the national public. But I can tell you this was huge news in Michigan. Mm -hmm. The local papers were covering it extensively. The local papers were covering extensively the comments from Sean Fain and also from other uh, UAW leadership about the distance between Trump's rhetoric and what he actually does. And like I said, I, I think more than anybody, they have seen the broken promises from him when it comes to labor. So do I think it's a mistake for Sean Fain to, you know, invite the president to the picket line? You also have to think, these workers are risking a lot to go out on strike and try to achieve better wages, better working conditions, etc. You think they're going to turn down, either Republican or Democrat, the president of the United States— coming to stand with you, even if he's not your guy, even if you didn't vote for him, even if you're not gonna vote for him. That is powerful leverage on your side. So, no, I think I actually really appreciate the clarity of his language and the way that he's so, approached this and the fact that he has been critical of Biden where they've, you know, fallen short as well.
2: I wouldn't say it was a mistake to invite Biden. I, of course, you take it where you can get. I, I honestly, though, I think what Sean Fain may not understand, though, is that he's actually making it easier for MAGA to code anti-union, yeah, well, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. because what it mean, And there are—look, I'm not going to say Trump— or many of the people who work for him are pro-union. But we were just talking about this er- earlier, Block. Emily, you and I were reviewing that polling from American companies. Mm-hmm. 40% of GOP voters support union. So, I mean, it's not you know, it's not all of them, but it's some. Uh, and if the un- quote-unquote union boss is explicitly gonna come out and trash Trump to a lot of people because it's effectively a cult of personality party, they're gonna be like, okay, well, screw this guy. And then, by extension, like possibly screw union. I thought it was a mistake, because I think it tactically makes it more difficult for a senator like Josh Hawley, who just went to the picket line, or other senators who I know are considering visiting the picket line, it will make them appear almost as if they are like crossing into democratic territory. And again, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's the right thing, but I thought that his statement explicitly coming out trash Trump like that, I thought it was a tactical mistake. If he wants to achieve any sort of bipartisanship. If he doesn't, that's fine. I mean, maybe he thinks it's a lost cause. It probably is. Um, but I'm saying, like, if you want to even attempt to get it, it makes it more difficult, in my opinion. I'm curious what you think. And, of course, we need to get a response.
7: Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I was thinking, actually, yeah. back to Tea Party times. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, if someone had done what Donald Trump did last night, which was, again, like, rhetoric versus results, totally different. There's a gap there that I think, again, you could have actually had the Republican debate focus on that, in fact. And the, the Michigan question is huge. I think that's such a smart point. He, though, has identified the single biggest wedge between workers, and union support, which is the union uh, leaders and UAW mm-hmm. is particularly vulnerable to that not because of Sean Fein but because of people who came beforehand in the past, yeah yeah absolutely and if if in the Tea Party years you had somebody doing what was what Donald Trump did last night which was this really like just he made this crystal clear wedge driving trying to drive between the the workers and the leadership which is just tactically smart I'm not talking about it substantively but mm-hmm. tactically that is the only shot Republicans have at like really if, if they're not gonna go full pro Union that's the only way way that they can possibly start to appeal to some of these workers. He did it. He did it very boldly. Um, and that was like, Republicans have never been able to do that. They've never even thought to do that. At the same time, I do think it's is very, very true that Trump is, uh, the, the the rhetoric versus results in places like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin are going to be a real problem for mm. him because People think of like union membership in Michigan. It's probably like one in every five households. Something that like, you guys might it's even know. It's a decent. amount. It's like
2: sixty-six thousand, I,
7: yeah, I believe. That's yeah. a really big deal. Yeah. It might not sound like it, but it's a really big deal because there's a ripple effect into families. Yeah. and There's a ripple effect into communities. And so actually, this is huge news. And Sean Fain coming out and and just going hardcore against Trump. On the one hand, it does mm-hmm. make it easier for Trump. On the other hand, it makes it harder for Trump. It's just like two.
4: There, there's two sides to it. I. Think.
2: I can see it. I yeah, mean, go, Ryan, Ryan. I'm, yeah. I wonder
4: if you uh, have thoughts on Biden ran his first, actually ran it during the debate, um, direct ad against Trump. And it was about Unions and mm-hmm. wages. Oh, interesting. And when I see that, I'm like, oh my God, Democrats maybe finally figured out how to run against this guy. Mm. And I th- to me the rhetoric from Sean Fain is also very effective because it's like, this guy is the problem. He's mm-hmm. the billionaire class. You know, the first time we that Democrats tried to run against Trump in twenty sixteen, it was like he's not a real billionaire. We have the real billionaires yes, right. on our side. Or
2: he's actually not. He says yeah. bad things. Right.
4: And so <laughs> yeah. now when I saw that ad that was like, no, the you know, the I think it was like Donald Trump talks and Joe Biden. Biden delivers. I mm. actually thought it was effective, and I thought it could potentially land in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, where they know very viscerally, like mm-hmm. those plants and those jobs that were supposed to be here under Trump. Guess what? They did not come back, and Trump and, lost again. Yeah, yeah.
1: And what I think it shows is that if Democrats actually do something, even the minimal amount for workers, then it really puts Republicans on the spot. Like it mm-hmm. puts Trump on the spot when Trump is running against Hillary Clinton then he can just say, I'm, I'm for workers, she's terrible, and, and the workers are like, yeah, she probably would have let the, U- the, the Detroit go bankrupt. Mm. Like the reason Obama w- wins Michigan in 2012 is because they saved yep. Detroit. Yes, the, Nobody believed I think, that Hillary would have done the same thing. So Trump then can get away with just like some like surface level pro-worker stuff. Once you've got Biden actually doing things like going to a picket line, then you actually have to peel back what Trump is saying a little bit. It's like, okay, Sean Fein says they want a 40% raise and they want, like, all of these EV plants to be unionized and mm-hmm. they want access to these plants. What's Trump saying? Trump is saying you're picketing the wrong place. Uh, you should endorse me. Me, 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 me. And th- all of a sudden that starts to fall apart. You're like, okay, he's, he says he's for the workers, but he's not. Is he for our 40% raise? Mm-hmm. He didn't say he was. Is he for us uh, being able to unionize EV plants or, just, or does he just not want EV plants to exist.
2: Well, it's I think that. the latter is the yeah. case. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then, <laughs> because, so then the workers
1: are like, OK, well, once you are on board with our agenda, mm. then you come to the picket line and march with us. If you're not on board with our agenda. We're going to march with the guy who is. Okay.
7: And to Crystal's point, I think that's the big thing. Like, Republicans still are not willing to go full, like, yes, unionize the EV plants. And so Trump knows his only, his best option is to say, no EV plants. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not willing to take that step, that's the only way that you can go.
2: I think you guys are right. At the same time, he uh, did, uh, he didn't just regale the audience around EVs. He also, Ryan, you pulled this uh, for us. <laughs> we had to give people. He basically just turned it into a rally and uh, gave some, some of his more classic riffs. This one was Ryan's favorite.
8: Let's take a lesson. You signed this. First day I was in office. They sa- I said, what is it? It's a new Air Force One. It's 5.7 billion. I said, that sounds like a lot of money for a plane. It's actually two planes, by the way, but they call it Air Force One. They're identical. I mean, even the wood grain, you can't tell the difference. I could tell because it was a little nick in one desk that wasn't on the other. So I could say that's one and the other ones too. So the head of Boeing came in and he said, sir, we have to get 5.7. I said, nope, I'm not doing it. I was supposed to sign it. I said, I'm not doing it. Not for 5.7. It has to have a three on it. I didn't know what that meant, except I knew it was a hell of a cut, right? Right? <laughs> right, Al? Sir, we'll do it for 3 billion, 999 million, ninety-nine million nine hundred nine 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 and ninety-nine cents, right? And I said, you have yourself a deal. So I saved $1.7 billion on that plane. I was very proud of him. Does anybody give me credit for that? No. I mean, Ryan's losing it. Right? If you're a
4: Republican, how, how are you going to
8: compete with that? Yeah, you, you, you can't
4: compete with that. It's too good. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Doug. I Carl. do agree that Air
2: Force One is too expensive. Uh, I it, will it's say, it's ridiculously expensive. Uh, it's ludicrous. Um, Air Force One. He also has a common misconception. Air Force One is only the plane in which the president is on, of which we all know from the movie Air Force One. Uh, what, what else? Uh, actually, my last take on this aesthetics, of which we will get into a little bit, is I did think his new color scheme was better—the red, white, and blue—as opposed to the JFK blue And Biden uh,
1: that vetoed we have right it. Now.
2: And Biden vetoed it.
1: Yeah, he should have gone it. into that. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. to make a we subst- wanted the extended riff. A, a no.
4: substantive point about that. Not that all of your <laughs> no, 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 are wow. highly substantive about the color scheme save of Air Force. <laughs> 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 Humor is such a weapon. Good Humor point. is yeah. such True. a weapon. Um, and that's one of the things that every one of those like dreadful people on stage last night are completely mm-hmm. lied. There was mm-hmm. not... Whoa, I can't whoa, think whoa. of a, Donald Duck. I, I can't <laughs> think of a single <laughs> moment of levity. Like it was all For just like purpose. pain and right. Yeah. Exactly. There may what? have been some unintentional humor. All the stuff. Um, like when Ron DeSantis said he visited Ronald Reagan's grave site. Like you know, just trying to play into this as much as possible. Anyway, no humor whatsoever. It was another. I mean, Obama was also funny. Mm-hmm. He had comedic timing George and Bush. could land a joke. George W. Bush. Clinton. Yeah, and it um, it really, maybe it shouldn't be this way, it should be about the substance or whatever, but it really is so powerful and so difficult to overcome when you're up against someone who is actually just genuinely funny, whether you like him or hate him or anything. I totally agree. There I was, also
2: think Obama uh, was unfairly slandered for you're likable enough, Hillary. I thought it was a great line. I, 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 I don't think he took way too much for it.
7: There was a, a was moment right. where the moderators last night asked them if 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 they could be the next Ronald Reagan essentially, meaning that they could have like a generational pull. Like, Mm -hmm. could you have a legacy like Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan's was essentially the question. And it's a perfect question when all of them are down by what, 40 points and the leader's not on stage because you look at it and you say, absolutely not. And partially for that, first of all, Reagan was very charismatic, was hilarious. And they, none of, nobody on that stage has that. And Donald Trump is out, uh, you know, up in Detroit riffing It's such a clear contrast. There's not one person who stands out like that. And I think some of them are talented politicians. I think Tim Scott's a talented politician. I think Ron DeSantis, when he was in his moment, 2020, 2021, was a talented politician on the state level. He
4: hasn't been able to translate it nationally, and that contrast is glaring. I am fascinated by how Ron DeSantis struggles with his face. Oh my gosh. I really, I mean, I'm just like, you, head, you You don't, yeah, yeah, it is. And I think that's exacerbating it. The whole time, I'm like, you don't know how to just like exist without doing something. Yeah, of, like, You're like, like moving up. around. Uh, anyway, I, um, I kind of feel bad
2: for that. I actually like, do too yeah.
4: at this point. You yeah. know, it's like now that he's no longer a threat to anyone or anything, <laughs> I just feel uncomfortable looking at these weird faces that he can't <laughs> help himself or, or making. It. It's the smile. It's when he tries to laugh. Yeah. 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 Or when he thinks he, he lands point. a point. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this like, oh, stop, away stop. stop. Yeah. <laughs> no. Let's move on to uh, another big story outside of the debate that has been uh, ongoing here in D.C., which I'm actually uh, there's a couple element, elements of this that have become very interesting. You guys over at the Intercept have done some great yes. reporting about some of the subtext of this indictment. Put this up on the screen, which is really fascinating. So uh, Ken tweeted out here, Egyptian intelligence may have been trying to recruit Senator Bob Menendez as a spy, according to four former CIA officers. Um, Let me go ahead and read you a little bit of this report. They said national security experts say the indictments reference to Egyptian intelligence officials and Menendez's disclosure of highly sensitive and non-public info to Egyptian officials suggest that more than a garden-variety corruption scheme, there may be an intelligence element to the charges. Egypt's elicitation of information resembles a textbook recruitment pass, an intelligence operation intended to recruit an asset, for former CIA officers told The Intercept. Um, what more can you tell us about this, Ryan? It,
1: it goes back to the question of whether or not an asset is recruitable like you have you have to in as an intelligence agency you have to try to figure out whether or not this person is someone you can get actually and back in 2015 2016 when people were accusing trump of being a russian asset i asked some yes, you know, that's cia right. folks yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like he's what we would call an unrecruitable asset <laughs> yes It's like, because you can't trust him with any information that you give (laughs) (laughs) him. You don't don't know. Now, you you might be able to, like, manipulate him for your own advantage. Yeah. But you absolutely, he cannot be a recruited asset. Yeah. And so the way that you start with some of these assets is you ask for small things that aren't necessarily damaging, but that they know they're not supposed to give you. Mm. And the key one here that they asked was the size and details about the Egyptian uh, the U.S. embassy in Cairo, because mm. that is known to be a, a center of kind of intelligence activity. Mm-hmm. Mo- all embassies are at some level, but certainly the one in Cairo is. And so for Menendez to give non-public information about that is, A, useful to the, in- the, the intelligence operations of not just the Egyptians, but the Emiratis who basically run the Egyptians' mm. D.C. operation.
2: Uh, but it, it's a sign that okay, he's willing to cross right. lines, which is what he did. I mean, he yeah. w- what is it? He got the non-public information mm-hmm. as the Senate Foreign Relations Chairman. He checked. What did he, he texted it to his wife? Yeah. Um, and then I mean, his wife like, uh, related it to yeah. the man who bought her a very nice Mercedes, who she then yeah. thanked via text message. Allegedly, yeah. Allegedly, of this. It's all a little bit stunning. Uh, Crystal, you flagged this. Uh, let's go ahead and put this up there on the screen. Um, currently, there are what is it? Twenty-eight senators, Something Democratic like senators, that. That, yeah. that have come out. So more than half the caucus actually, um, who have called for Senator Menendez to resign. However, not one Republican has uh, (laughs) come out to say that Menendez should resign. The only one I saw was uh, John Cornyn, who said, quote, I think all my Democratic colleagues should resign. Uh, uh, (laughs) That's kind of a good line, Let's give it to him. It's a good line. And I was curious, Emily, for your take as to why. I think it's because if you say that Menendez should resign, it then impugns Trump because it would imply that indictment is, you know, in any way like some sort of fact pattern that correlates to guilt and that they don't want to box himself into a corner and they would rather just let the Dems like play into it on their own. What do you think?
7: Yeah, I think first of all, that's right. But second of all, it's a wonderful political tool to have the Senate foreign relationship. I know he stepped down from that, but to have him still sitting as a member of the Senate is a wonderful political tool. So why call for him to resign when you can continue to say Democrats have uh, a likely Egyptian asset, someone (laughs) as corrupt as Menendez in the Senate? It. But the other problem with that, though, is all the Democratic senators have essentially neutralized that line of attack by calling for him to resign. Yeah. Has Biden called
4: on him no. to resign? No, he's not. That's a big problem for yeah. the Democrats. Yeah, and, and Schumer Schumer, has Schumer hasn't either. Right. I mean, it's wild. So I've got Tom Cotton and Marco Rubio, but Tom Cotton went into detail. Actually, it's sort of like overtly came out to defend Menendez, and I think his reasoning is illustrative. He says, The charges against Senator Menendez are serious and troubling. At the same time, the Department of Justice has a troubling record of failure and corruption in Mm -hmm. cases against public figures from Ted Stevens to Bob McDonald to Donald Trump to Bob Menendez the last time around. Senator Menendez has a right to test the government's evidence in court. Just like any other citizen, he should be judged by jurors and New Jersey's voters, not by Democratic politicians who now view him as inconvenient to their hold on power, which is like, that part is kind of ridiculous given the fact that they intentionally made him chair of this very powerful committee. But Ryan, what do you what is going on here with because I I didn't actually see this coming. I thought, because, I, you know, Republicans, yeah, I get They look like hypocrites if they call him out, but not Trump or whatever. But they're willing to be hypocrites in any manner of other ways. So why was this the bridge too far where they felt the need to back up this man who is charged with the most cartoonish levels of government corruption that you can possibly imagine?
1: I think it goes partly back to what Emily's saying. There's that famous Napoleon line where he says, you know, never never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. So just let let Democrats keep foundering on this. But also I think they want to break all the norms around this stuff. Mm. and this helps break the, norms. Yeah, the norm. Because so the norm would be that if a president is con- convicted or even indicted under uh, these types of circumstances, that he would you know go away out of public life. Like that's the old norm that obviously Trump is not doing that. And so to make it seem a little bit normal for him not to do that, you have to smash all these other ones. And so if you just kind of push, push through this, and you have corruption everywhere, then it's like, well, everybody's corrupt, so no, who cares?
7: Well, I was just gonna quickly yeah. add, there's this sort of bubbling idea on the right or theory on the right that, and I think it's echoed in Tom Cotton's uh, statement, yeah. that Menendez became inconvenient because of his positions on Iran and Cuba, oh. based on what the Biden administration wants to do, or people in the <laughs> Biden administration want to do. Mm-hmm. I know, it sounds, but that is the the, the deep state, basically, yeah. it, mm-hmm. came out Menendez to get this Menendez. must have done something right, saying, if the
2: deep state is going after is, him. Is that that, no. that wouldn't hold water because then they would have gotten it, rid of him the, uh, way before that and they wouldn't have
7: put
4: wouldn't have in him in made him chair the Foreign Relations Committee. <laughs> so it's, it's
2: like, it doesn't yes. make any sense.
4: I mean, I this- think it's
2: just Trump. I honestly think Trump is the, I think in mm-hmm. five, ten years ago, they would have called for him to resign. I think now with Trump under indictment, any just saying that an elected official should resign because of said indictment, they're like, well, why would we then have to go walk down the hallway and be like, well, why should Senator Mazzani resign if Donald Trump shouldn't run for president? They're like, oh, and they'd rather not get into it. And so the the two who are willing to come out and speak for where Tom Cotton, Marco Rubio; those are more ambitious politicians. They probably want to get on Trump's good side whenever they see something like that. The rest of them are just happy to stay quiet. Or like, they, they want, want
7: Menendez him. there yeah. because of his positions sure. on yeah, Cuba yeah, yeah. and yeah. Iran. Oh
1: good point. But, but yeah. also, yeah. Do, do these guys not have Signal and disappearing messages? Uh, I like, you know, you're the I head of the, the thing, Senate like, Foreign Relations I, Committee. I, 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 well, I always, <laughs> like, they have not cracked Signal yeah. yet. Like yeah. Signal's
2: secure. Well, still. we don't know. I don't know it, if that's.
7: Don't give these people any. No, it didn't work for the DC
2: government. I think they did crack Signal. I thought. I think the NSA has got it back. They can. Crack it if
1: Pegasus gets onto your phone, right. that, but as long that, as you're not on the phone, mm. right. but everybody's probably on his right. phone.
4: But you know, I do find it really disturbing, even him Cotton like overtly backing up the Supreme Court's. Um, I mean, the Supreme Court has basically made it so that corruption—the definition of corruption—is literally like getting a sack of cash and saying on camera, like, I am taking this cash to do your bidding in this specific way. And this does go back to the Bob McDonnell case in particular. Mm. And so, you know, the Republican Party at times has talked a big game about corruption um, very recently. And so for them now to totally back away from that and just completely get on the side of like, yeah, what even is corruption and who really cares? And of this course, Philip he, Bump. yeah, I mean, yes. I, I just I, I do find it like, it sucks. It just sucks that they would take this position basically in favor of government corruption. And uh, Cenk Uger, who we're having on uh, the show today in person, which we're excited about, uh, he actually made a really clever point, which is like, you know what Menendez should do? He should flip parties. Make the deep state point, <laughs> uh, and he'll be good to go because yeah, no right. evidence, Absolutely. no the gold bars in the closet, whatever. No, it's right. the deep state. Ugh. They're out to get you because of your sanctions on Cuba or whatever. That would work Brilliant. for Brilliant. him. Brilliant. it was 100%. a perfect
1: text message.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's he's perfect,
4: perfect, perfect. Exactly. Uh, exactly, exactly. I'm just
2: Cuban, you know. It's okay. That's oh, and he's, yeah. already, been he's already been trying that. He's already like, you been know, trying it, so he might as well Cubans go go are cool. Republicans now, so you can get better. So it's, it, it all works for him. There you go. Okay, some free advice, Menendez. To the last block. The most important block uh, to me personally—it's not true. Okay, it's a joke. Uh, let's go ahead and put this it's up. It's
4: not a
7: joke. <laughs> on the,
2: uh, the Senate has adopted, by unanimous consent, Senate Resolution 376, the Shorts Act, which stands for Show Our Respect to the Senate, introduced by Senator Joe Manchin. Mm. Uh, we now officially have a dress code in place on the Senate floor. It will require a coat, a tie, long pants uh, of some sort of slack of which, now, personally, I don't even think you should wear khakis on the Senate floor, but, you know, I guess this is willing to it's have a wear. compromise. Half a we're loaf failing, of It's willing to have a compromise <laughs> here. This comes after Senator John Fetterman and uh, Senator Cinema frequently violated said dress code. Uh, there was never actually an official dress code uh, that was on the floor, for those who are wondering. The way that this all happened is that Senator Schumer instructed the Sergeant of Arms not to enforce uh, the unformal dress code, which was kind of written in the rules previously, allowing for Fetterman to preside and be on the Senate floor in his uh, signature shirt slash hoodies and shorts and sneakers. Um, and uh, his colleagues rebelled. Now, Fetterman himself has backed down completely after talking a lot, of big game, I would just say, on Twitter, along with his staff. Mm-hmm. Let's put this up there on the He's screen. He's got
4: a strong social media he game. Says, you, can't, you cannot deny that. I will
2: Andrew. deny it because they talked a massive game and then he doesn't even object to the resolution where all of his colleagues are like, no, you look like a disgusting ogre
4: no because Um, he actually has his eyes on the prize of things that are matter unlike this stupid story Uh,
2: (laughs) senator fetterman has said during democratic lunch he will wear a suit now when speaking or presiding over the chamber and if not in the suit he will vote from the cloakroom so he is completely caved after talking such a big game about how oh he was standing up and all of this i you know what i think okay go ahead
4: I think that this is a war uh, on men. Oh, Because good. why is it we have that war, Senator Fetterman yeah. is getting so much scrutiny yeah. when Kirsten Cinema is a serial you know, violator? Why don't people say anything I about that? I actually completely that? agree with you. I think this you. is a war on men and I will not stand for I
2: it. I agree with you and that's the point that I made in my monologue because it's actually a bi- it's a uh, by gender I guess if you could say, a problem that we've had in the Senate. Uh, I do think, and I wanted to, of course, everybody knows what I think about this and I, I thought it was funny. Uh, I, However, uh, in terms of the biggest sticking point that I had, and I'm sure, and Crystal, you already agree with me on this, so Ryan, I'm sure you as well, especially because you've been a reporter on Capitol Hill. Don't you think it is complete BS that the staff and the pages still had to wear coat and ties, but it only applied for Fetterman and for cinema? Basically, the help still had to dress up. You've had to yeah. wear a coat and tie on the Senate. I've had to do it too. Whenever okay. we go into those, uh, you know, the chamber or whatever, or in some of those places where it's only press and uh, senators or congresspeople who are allowed, it's like we all had to abide by the dress code, but they set the rules so that only he and cinema didn't have to abide. Be, you have to at least would, admit that was it wrong. It would
1: be pretty cool if pages and interns uh, were able to wear We're, we're
2: around yeah. 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 I would But he didn't push in, for
4: that. Fully in favor. Right. Of Mr. Populist
2: no. didn't push for the pages to be able to dress so badly, a, only a, for himself. Let's be clear. About that's, that. that's a
1: fair point. Okay. To me, anything that undermines respect for the Senate is a mm. good thing. Ah,
2: okay. So I've heard this no. take. I don't agree with yeah. it, but you can. The se- this, I mean,
7: yeah. the It was is a, a good take. I disagree yeah.
4: too. Yeah. Look, I just think Fetter- Fetterman, when he came out as the first Democratic senator to actually call in Menendez to resign. And has been very direct and forceful about it. And also his staff were completely mocking him, saying we're going to return his donation yes. in, like, you know, cash-stuffed converse. envelopes. <laughs> I liked it, too. He I, wins I, the I week. Win. I don't care yeah. what happened with the— I've never cared about what happens with the dress code. I still don't care what happened with the dress code. He was on the picket line. He was the first out to call for Menendez to resign, which has helped to open up the floodgates of people actually saying the thing that is, like, totally obvious, that, of course, this man should not be in a position of power. So I am 100% Team Fetterman on this week in all respects.
2: I think on policy, it was a good week for him. I agree with you. I also, I'll also, i even give him credit for this. He gave a fantastic speech at a hearing about banning uh, the Chinese Communist Party from being able to buy farmland in the state of Pennsylvania. Yes. That's a longstanding uh, problem that we've had, so I will also give him this. I just think he should be wearing a suit. When he's on the Senate floor, I don't think it's a controversial well, you position. Well, you've won. What, what about uh, take you the, take yeah. the w. Wait, I, I I'm here. This is my <laughs> celebration. This is my Super Bowl. What about, okay? yeah, yeah, really, yeah.
1: about the new zip-up yeah. hoodies that like people are oh, wearing? Oh, absolutely not. No, no, no. no, no. That's, I
2: we're, think that was obvious. I don't even
7: know I do think soccer has yeah. his finger on the pulse of yeah. something, which yeah. is that this does... It is, I think, very obviously a proxy for how people feel about, like, the country right yes, now and people's right. standards. Exactly right. And so I don't think it's entirely unimportant. I think, like, the public actually... There's a segment of the public that's like, you got to be effing kidding me, Like My paycheck is going down. Like, Bob, I, mm-hmm. I agree with that. But I also think some people are like, come on. Like, they go to church and everybody's in jeans. Yes, and it right. does honestly bother them. And so I, I don't think it's entirely out of the realm of what matters to I football. think
4: it's very... I- I think it has really exposed the priorities of media and of the political class. We that, can have both. Listen, I, yeah, is but, we don't. but we don't. But the we, good okay, okay, our show, yeah. okay, fine. Yeah. We yeah. talked about Menendez, yes. now we're talking about the dress code. We're treating it like ridiculous yeah. silliness yeah. that it deserves, okay? Yeah. Yeah. But... How much time is spent on this whole dress code situation, especially over on Fox News? Oh, that's true. like, yeah. you know, the millions of kids that fell into poverty. Bob Menendez being incredibly corrupt. Like, a million issues that are going on that are actually substantive. And you got Joe Manchin, who I would take... John Fetterman in a thong over Joe <laughs> Manchin in Ooh. anything every freaking day of the week. In, and he is now, chance. like, the hero of the story. Uh. Re- it shows me that the screwed-up priorities in the Senate that they would spend so much time talking about this and debating this, et cetera. It shows me the screwed-up priorities of the news media, and that's what I have to say about that.
2: Ryan, last word. Well, I think tactically...
1: He looked more absurd than usual where, yes. with, with that unicolor. Like, yeah.
2: Outfit. I actually said that. I I used a Marxist. I if he was term. he debating though? I used a Marxist yeah. term for you guys. Actually, was he hiding he, the contradiction? For, he, hiding the yes, contradiction. Yeah. Hiding, yeah. Yeah. The the
0: God, I think, I think it might have been deliberate. And I think
2: he dressed so repulsively to the right. average eye and made it so obvious. Where cinema, when she breaks dress code, That's She just dresses like an idiot, you know, or like a Met Gala wannabe. Yeah. Whereas Fetterman <laughs> just genuinely looks horrible. See, I find like,
4: cinema's yeah. attire. It'd be so much more. So offensive. she grates me. I find it I, she much more offensive than betterman. I'll
2: put it that way. He repulses me. She grates me, and she grates me. Though actually, I'm, the grating might be worse, as you said, because it underlies a lot of attention-seeking narcissism and the what was the shirt that she wore when she was presiding over oh, the? Sand? it was, it like was boss woman or like Something bad. like that. Yeah. It was like something you would buy like for a teenager from Limited Two and like bejeweled across her chest. <laughs> so it was, it was it was bad. Okay. It was, Why do you even uh, know about uh, Limited Two? I I don't sisters. Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think she used general cultural system. knowledge. Anyway, uh, I would just say we won. Uh, we beat them. Ugliness <laughs> will not prevail. Ugliness will not prevail in the long run. I've always believed that. I think Federman uh, actually won. This is a bit. Yeah. I don't think he won at all. Tactical retreat. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ryan, Emily, I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. This was a, a lot of fun uh, for the breakdown. I'm also glad we didn't spend the whole time on the debate because God, it was like
4: you know, there just it's, wasn't it's just enough there to yeah. pretend like it was it yeah. mattered. Oh, okay, last question yeah. on the okay. debate to wrap it up. Do you think anything changes in the polls? Oh, great Absolutely question. not. Anything changes in the polls?
2: Not significantly. Not significantly.
4: I don't no. even think it changes, like, on the At all. I agree.
2: Yeah. I, I don't think anything moves anywhere outside
4: of much. I, I think Nikki Haley may fall a couple points. Okay. Oh, interesting. That's my idea. Because yeah. she did get a, a first debate bump. She yeah. was the one person who got and a first debate bump. New Hampshire, particularly. Yeah. Curtain Especially gate is
1: going to be it for her.
8: Yeah.
4: Curtain gate. <laughs> Devastating, devastating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You the, at ins- the Obama right. curtains. Inside, how could you inside
7: baseball to wrap it all up and bring it all full circle? I want to say that they uh, got into a shouting match before we started taping about Fetterman. So yes. what you right. saw on air <laughs> was a- also what <laughs> happened off air. <laughs> that's
4: actually. Yeah. actually you want to see get that's mad? True. true. So this
2: is <laughs> it. All right, guys. We have Shank Uger standing by. Let's get to it.
4: An auspicious day here at Breaking Points. We have a very special guest joining us in studio, Jen Kuger. He is the creator of The Young Turks and also author of the brand new book that we have here: How Progressives Are Going to Take Over the Country and America Is Going to Love It. Oh, I skipped the the main title, which is Justice Is Coming. So. Indeed. All right. Yes. There we go. The justice is here
3: right now. Right. Yes, you, ha-
4: you have arrived. Justice <laughs> has arrived. Um, it's great to see you, Jen. Thank you so Good much for joining guys. us. To I know you me. went through some some lengths with the red eye and all that to be yeah, able so to get here, and we're really grateful.
3: No problem. Thank you.
4: Um, so before we get into the book, any big uh, hot takes from the debate last night? Is Doug Burgum going to surge into 0.6% of the vote? What do you think?
3: <laughs> well, I actually kind of like Doug Burgum. I, I <laughs> thought he made some practical points Had actually done some things in his life. And he was the only one that was actually trying to be substantive. Okay, having said that, no, he will not <laughs> surge to 0. 06 So, look, I've got a similar take as a lot of folks do. It was a mess, uh, and it looked like the kid's table. They're constantly talking over each other. Yeah. They're running for a second. Although I thought DeSantis was a little strong last night, mm. stronger than he normally is, mm. uh, with a weird smile and all. Yeah. Um, but I think
4: he's a little better than the first debate. Yeah. And you got the most opinion. speaking time. So. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, but all that notwithstanding, uh, both Democrats and Republicans don't really know how to hit Donald Trump. Uh, Chris Christie's the closest, at least he's aggressive and, and not shy about, it. not scared. Yeah. He's the only person in either party not scared of Trump. Having said that, I. I HAVE A THOUSAND BETTER WAYS TO HIT DONALD TRUMP, AND THEY JUST WON'T DO IT. YOU SHOULD PUT A NICKNAME ON HIM, SPOILED DONNIE. Uh, HE GOT $400 MILLION FROM HIS DAD. HE BLEW IT ALL BECAUSE HE'S A SPOILED LITTLE CHILD. AND THEN WHEN uh, THE COUNTRY TOOK HIS TOY AWAY, WHICH WAS THE AMERICAN GOVERNMENT, HE WANTED TO BREAK THE TOY, RIGHT? THAT'S WHO HE IS, SPOILED LITTLE BABY. YOU HAVE TO UNDERCUT HIS STRENGTH. Hmm. And they keep THE DEMOCRATS KEEP CALLING HIM RACIST, SEXIST, BIGOT, etc. DUDE, EVERYBODY ALREADY KNOWS THAT. Okay, and for a lot of those voters, unfortunately, that's not the bug, that's the feature. But even so, it's not all folks who are, you know, uh, there's a lot of anti-establishment people there, especially among independents, you need to deliver on issues and you need to attack them where it hurts. He's a terrible businessman. He's weak, insecure, a baby, mm. undercut his strength instead of constantly feeding into he's too strong. Oh, that's a terrible way of attacking him.
2: Well, that's yeah. tough because a lot of Republicans love Trump. And uh, they don't even, I mean, e- anything that codes that way, they're going to say is liberal. But I'm, I'm curious actually about why you decided to write this book in the middle of the Biden era and mm-hmm. uh, what you see as the justice coming, how the progressives are going to take over in the middle of an administration, which it's probably been middling from your guys' perspective. So why yeah. do you think that uh, this is the tide going in that
3: direction? Yeah, so I, I'm really worried about 2024, which we'll probably get mm-hmm. into in a, in a second. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, after 2024, it's all us. Uh, so uh, I explained in Chapter 6, and this is not false hope. It's backed up by overwhelming data. Mm-hmm. So the young are incredibly progressive. The top Republican pollster, Frank Luntz, has his toupee on fire. Yes. He's like, it's they're coming. And I show in the book... Uh, even the states that Bernie Sanders lost in 2020, he wins with crushing margins for under 45. Mm. Under 45, is it really still young? And this election is going to be under 49. And by 2028, it's going to be under 54. And then we've got a majority. And so we could win a Democratic primary and we could win a general election. So it's actually... All we have to do is make sure that we don't snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. There's no question we're going to win in the long run. It isn't about race. It isn't about sex. It isn't about gender identity. It's about age. We have the young on our side, and it is a tsunami. But we just can't lose democracy in 2024, and that's why I'm really worried about Biden.
4: Interesting. How is this different? from the arguments that were made about the quote-unquote coalition of the ascendant and the idea that, you know, demographics are destiny and therefore, you know, the Republicans are going to be vanquished and then we end up getting Donald Trump. And it turns out, you know, Latinos have been shifting. Democrats still win Latinos, but there has been a notable shift there. There's been some shift even more marginal among black voters and black men in particular. So isn't it a little bit too uh, triumphant? to assume that these demographic groups that support progressive values and tend to support demogra- Democrats right now are just gonna continue to vote in the same way that they have historically?
3: Yeah, so those are great questions. So there's a, a, a couple of very important differences. So first of all, uh, Democrats took those uh, minority demographics for granted. They're like, oh, black people and Latinos are always gonna vote for us. Right. We don't actually have to deliver for them. So for example, this time around, bare minimum was voting rights, and then they didn't do voting rights. Right right? They didn't even really try to do voting rights. They almost never deliver on those things. Joe Biden's delivered on about 20 to 25 percent of his agenda, but not nearly good enough. You have to, and you see the discontent in African-American media like Charlemagne and others, et cetera. Latinos now Trump's up to 42 percent. So just saying, hey, you're black or you're brown, vote for me is not good enough, right? But for young people, they're not going to all of a sudden turn around and hate gay people, hate black people. Their identity is usually set, as I explained in the book, meta-studies show between the ages of 14 and 24. And once it is set, it does not change. Hmm. So they're not going to randomly turn into hateful folks uh, or corporate politics. It's not going to work. In the old days, and here's another giant part of the puzzle, it's us. Okay, breaking points, TYT, etc. Because mainstream media is on the precipice of capsizing yes yeah. because their their costs are now higher than their revenue for a lot of television okay so when they capsize, they're and they're already bleeding viewers, and their viewers are on average uh, about 70 years old, right? So now, guys, I've underestimated that before. I underestimated it in 2020, and I'm honest about that. It turns out those older voters were still ascendant and were and controlled the Democratic primaries, and they're brainwashed by Joe Scarborough and mainstream media, mm-hmm. and so that was a very powerful force and has been for a long time in this country. You can't underestimate it. But by 2028. It is a completely different ballgame, both in media, which is everything, and in the uh, age demographic. and But all throughout, though, one other giant difference. When corporate Democrats go, okay, you have to vote for us because you're black or brown, right, but then they don't deliver. But progressives say, no, we are going to deliver for you. Hmm. We're going to deliver on paid family leave, higher minimum wage, relieving student debt public option, Medicare for all, you name it. We actually mean it. So who's our standard bearer? Has been for a long time is Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows whether you like him or not, whether you agree with him or not. He's probably the most honest man in American politics in our lifetime. I think even the right wing knows that and definitely independents know that. I'm not saying Bernie's going to run again, but our standard bearer is honest. And the other guys have Trump and corporatists. So they're get, not going to win the young doing
2: that. Yeah, let's get into that. And that's why it's interesting. You've been talking a little bit about Joe Biden. Let's put this tweet up there on the screen. Now, for example, you say Biden is losing by 10 points in this poll. Even if it's half wrong, it's still an epic disaster. The Democrat has to win the popular vote by five to win the Electoral College. Right now, Biden is 15 points behind where he needs to be. Wake up. Now, you mentioned Bernie Sanders. I believe Bernie is, what is he, 82, 83? Uh, yeah. Probably, in my opinion, he shouldn't run uh, at that point. So you talked about standard bearers, but they there doesn't, from an outsider's perspective, I don't see a standard bearer in the progressive movement. I've seen a lot of fracturing, there's a lot of fighting going on, there's some like, there's a lot of different theories of change and all that. So how, how if you want to mount a challenge to Biden, what does it look like? Give us some actual names of what that would be and then the fights that would ensue within that.
3: Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, Bernie's got age issues, as Biden and Trump does. And not only that, I love Bernie, but he, he just doesn't like to fight. He yeah, doesn't he like does. to fight other Democrats. He doesn't have he a killer. Yeah. Themselves. And yeah. you can't win if you don't yeah. fight. Right. you got to make your own case. That's the same problem Biden has. He just never makes his own case. Mm. So, uh, look, guys, what's going to happen is there's one strong populist progressive is going to rise. And they're going to capture the country with lightning speed. Interesting. So right now, do we have that? not not really hmm. and so why do i say that well look you know if you want to be the strong leader you got to step up that's what strong leaders do they don't go well biden didn't give me permission if, if you're worried about biden giving you permission you ain't it yes okay i'm sorry mm-hmm. now having said that for 2024 the progressive boat is almost gone right so there's only one like it's so bad I seriously considered running because nobody will do it. For <laughs> God's sake, it's a golden opportunity. The guy's in his is in the in the thirties in the polling. That we're whistling past the graveyard. He's going to lose. He's uh, he had, he was at fifty two when he won in twenty twenty, and he won by a razor thin yes. margin of forty four thousand votes in the electoral college. Now fifteen points lower. We're just kidding ourselves. It's a disaster. The handwriting is on the wall. He's going to lose. So at this point, soccer, Mm. give me anybody. Give me anybody. Give me Andy Bashir in Kentucky. Uh. Give me Governor Shapiro in Pennsylvania. I'll even take Whitmer, okay? Uh. Okay. I don't (laughs) care. We just, anybody but Biden, because it's not personal. I don't mind Biden. I would prefer someone more progressive, but at this point, it's not about that. We've got to win. Is democracy on the line or isn't it? Mm. Because I think Democrats are full of crap. They say stuff like, oh, that guy's a fascist, he's going to kill democracy. So we're running a guy who's a wounded antelope, (laughs) who 72% of Americans think is not even going to make it through a second term. Uh There's no one on planet Earth that could look at those polling numbers and say, yeah, he's going to win. If they do say that, they're definitely lying.
4: So uh, it's hard to disagree with much of that. There is no disagreement. However, yeah. I will say that I do have some nervousness. In my ideal scenario, you know, Biden would, would withdraw. We'd have a real democratic process. I'm not of this view that, like, democracy is bad for electoral chances, et cetera. I actually think it's really good. It allows people to make the case. It allows Democratic voters to choose the candidate that they would be think would be best suited, et cetera, et cetera. But I do worry that there are some candidates that I feel like would be worse than Biden, not only electorally, like I think Kamala Harris would be worse electorally. I think Pete Buttigieg would protect, you know, potentially be worse electorally. But I also think that they would be a lot worse on policy, because even though I have a million criticisms of Biden that we talk about here all the time on labor issues with regard to the National Labor Relations Board, on the fact that he went to the frickin picket line first president in history, he is better than the Obama Democrats in some key ways. I mean, they've tried to do industrial policy. That's been a significant step forward. They haven't done enough on the consumer side. They haven't done enough on the worker side, et cetera. You know, they let all the social safety net stuff from COVID expire. And that's why so many Americans are feeling really stressed and struggling financially. Yeah. But I can see a lot other options that would actually be worse, both on policy and on uh, on like being able to win and defeat Trump. Do yeah. you agree with that?
3: No. Uh, You think Kamala would be better? No. Uh, So let me be clear. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So number one, uh, this is not about Biden's record. If we were started this primary a year ago when the Republicans started or six months ago, it would be about Biden's record. And Biden's record is mixed. So normal Democrats like Barack Obama do 5% of the things that they promise and then the media declares them champions of the world, right? Mm. Biden has done about 20% of his agenda, which for politicians is a bit stunning. It still sucks, but it's like way better than some other politicians. You're right, his record on labor is pretty good. a bunch of spotty areas, but overall pretty good. Now, but I'm not arguing that guys. It doesn't matter how great we think Biden is if he loses. Mm -hmm. So look, an incumbent under 50 points, the old rule, everybody in Washington knows this, cannot win or does not win. An incumbent under 40 points, it's unprecedented. I've never seen it in my lifetime. It's not going to happen. On on the day that he won with only 44,000 votes in the electoral college in three swing states, he had a four-and-a-half-point lead, not in a poll, in the actual vote, the popular vote. Right. So the Democrat needs a five-point lead for us to feel a tiny bit comfortable about saving democracy. And Biden is currently losing to Trump. So I'm not having a conversation about substance yeah. at this point. I wish I was. Mm. I'm having a conversation about who can win. Now, the this crazy thought that people in Washington have, they have all this mythology. And in the book, I break down all the mythology. In this case, though, the law is... Well, if it's not Biden, and we go to the line of succession and Kamala Harris is next. When the hell did we become a monarchy? Yeah. There's no line of succession. That's not a thing. It's a thing. If uh, if some God forbid, something were to happen to President Biden, then you have a line of succession when they're in office. Mm-hmm. But not in a primary. We're not the British royalty. Kamala Harris isn't anointed. Neither is Biden or shouldn't be. Right. And, and now people in media are freaking out a little bit. They're beginning to see I'm right. James Carville's freaking out. David Ignatius, at uh, Washington Post mm-hmm. is freaking out. But they're frozen in amber because they're like well we have to bow down to biden i mean uh, what would the king say otherwise and we're democrats we we obey authority right no we're democrats we don't obey authority right and then they say well if we get rid of biden well we have to go to the crown
5: princess
4: but on what planet unfortunately a lot of democrats do obey authority i mean that's what we saw in 2020 right i mean that was the killer once the media was like It's Biden, and if you want to beat Trump, you got to get behind Biden. We saw how quickly the dominoes fell. So you know, I am worried about a scenario where, if for whatever reason Biden is not in the picture anymore, and you have a wide open primary, and there's this media coalescing around, we have to back up Kamala Harris. She's the first Black woman vice she, president. Not She's do the next that. in line. No one, no
3: one wants Kamala Harris. Every person How do you I know talk they won't
2: to, will get racially blackmailed into jail? I don't. Really
3: care. no way. Nobody's yeah. got time for that. Okay, <laughs> that's like when you're. I've well, oh, got
4: time for it. <laughs> you know,
3: I don't care what the elites in yeah. Washington think. Yeah, yeah. you
4: oh. may not, and i we agree. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we yeah, saw like, the way Democratic primary yeah.
3: voters fell in line. No. Yeah. Th- so, look, I hear you. Mainstream mm-hmm. media is still powerful. Like I said, we're definitely yeah. going to win in 28. And in 24, we're probably right on the edge, right? But we're not asking for a progressive to be Kamala Harris. Because if it was a progressive, yes, like, for example, let's say Iran mm-hmm. or Nina Turner ran or anyone like that. Or
4: Marianne running right now. Or Marianne
3: now. Williamson yes. running right now, right? What does the press do? Our number one problem isn't Biden. You you put me one-on-one against Biden, you give me a fair hearing, I would destroy him. It wouldn't even be close. It'd be a landslide, right? But you don't get a fair hearing. Mm -hmm. The press, which is totally corporate media, shreds every progressive. So, Chris, at this point, I'm not wishing upon a star. Hey, press, you love corporatists? Andy Beshear, governor of Kentucky. It's a red state, he won in
4: Kentucky. He's the most popular governor in America.
3: Most popular governor in America. Josh Shapiro won in Pennsylvania, crushing victory Mm -hmm. against a Trump acolyte. So you guys are comfortable with Shapiro and Beshear? You won't rip them.
4: Gotcha. Let me push a little bit on the election point. What do you make of all of the special elections we've had recently that have had Democrats outperforming on an average of 11 points? So we've gotten used to these polls that underestimate the Republican support. It seems like, you know, in recent years that may have flipped post-Dobbs. So that's what the Biden people would point to is like, listen, the polls can say whatever they say. The polls are wrong all the time. But when voters are actually showing up to the polls, they are we are outperforming polls. We are outperforming the margin by double digits. What do you make of that?
3: Okay, uh, so first of all, did it happen? Yes, but was Trump on the ballot? No, he was not That's on the true. ballot. Right. Trump drives out crazy Republican votes, and you know that, we all know that. Yep. Second of all, saying, well, hopefully the polls are wrong, but hey, it turns out if it turns out science is true, we're going to lose democracy. Cross your mm-hmm. fingers, right? And hey, we might get an 11-point surge. No, we're not going to get an 11-point surge in a presidential race. But hoping for that, OK, I got a great idea. Why don't we put in Andy Bashir and he'll have a five or six or eight-point lead, and then we'll get the 11-point mm-hmm. surge, and we'll guarantee democracy. And then we could fight Andy Bashir in the 2028 primary. Somebody could run a year early. We could have fun within the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. But this is the time for look. We I believe think in everyone fun? I don't know
4: about that. Everything
3: <laughs> in everybody in Washington has to decide, and especially in the Democratic Party. Do you actually think democracy is on the line? Because I do. I mean, Trump is talking about killing U.S. generals. The guy's a monster, a total maniac. He's talking about imprisoning his political opponents. He tried a coup last time. Fake electors, everything. This guy's definitely a dictator wannabe. Apparently, I'm the only person who thinks that because other Democrats are like, well, that's true. But on the other hand, we don't want to be impolite to Joe Biden. Joe Biden has a legacy to protect. He needs to be a two-term president to fluff his ego. Let's note for the record that Joe Biden is incredibly selfish. If I
2: was in the 30s Hmm. and I thought democracy was on the line, I would definitely step aside.
4: Yeah, the actions don't match up with the rhetoric. My last
2: question for you, Uh, your governor, Governor Newsom, he was all over Fox News last night. The man is making a play. What do you think of him as a candidate? Because clearly he wants it. He wants it right now. He's the only one. You're talking about stepping up. He's probably gone the most as anyone. What do you think? Do you think he should run against Biden? What do you think he should do? Well,
3: he's not going to because he's a corporate Democrat. Yeah. if he ran against Biden, mm. I, I, I'm not a fan of Gavin Newsom, <laughs> yes, but I okay. would, but I would hold my nose. Okay, and I'd, at least he's young, he's dynamic, right. he's out there fighting the fight. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to win here, guys. Mm-hmm. We got to win. So now, having said that, Gavin is not going to run against him because he's a corporatist. So uh, the corporate Democrats obey authority. So when Biden says, my ego is more important than democracy, Gavin Newsom says, yes, sir. Of course, sir. Absolutely, sir. I'll do whatever you want, sir. Just as long as I'm not impolite, sir. Washington media, please don't yell at me. Please don't yell at me. Make me president in 2028. (laughs) I mean, if we have elections, but who cares about democracy? Democrats stop being so selfish and ridiculous. Do you think we have to win or don't you? If you think we have to win, Biden is not going to get a five point lead. He doesn't even campaign. Where the hell is he? <laughs> Where's Joe Biden? I'm asking, where the hell is he? He's right here. He's, okay. he's not, not yeah, far away. N- he's yeah, in the White n- House. N- nodding yeah. off, taking Fundravers,
4: a nap. Andy yeah. what, he did make an appearance on the picket line, which I very right. much appreciate. My last question for you, Jenk, is, like, how hopeful are you that we could end up with someone other than Joe Biden as nominee? Like, do you think, because you say, yeah, I mean, because yeah. you say, listen, Gavin Newsom's not going to run against him. That goes for every one of the corporate Democrats. I mean, Gavin Newsom is the one making the most... Like, doing the most right now, and it's very clear he's not going to jump in this race against Joe. So do you think there's a chance?
3: Crystal, we are definitely in a unsolvable riddle. Yeah. Because the corporate Democrats say, I will not disobey. I will always bow my head. Right. right? And the progressives say, well, I can't run. The mainstream media it will destroy me. They'll yeah. destroy my life. Mm-hmm. They'll destroy my career, et cetera, right? Right. So how do we get past that? That's why I'm desperate enough to think maybe I should do it. And I'll tell you why, because let's say that somebody like me gets in the race. Yeah. The Democratic voters are dying for an alternative. Mm-hmm. They keep saying in every poll, for God's sake, give us someone else. Give us someone else. If a, someone like me were to get to 20 points. You have any idea how quick Newsom and Whitmer would enter the race? Hmm.
4: So, are you seriously? You're seriously considering it? Like, yeah, so I'm considering so many, it, okay. and I'll but tell that's you what's going to
2: happen. R.F.K. Jr. is at 20. percent You know, Marianne's at like 10, percent something no, like that. No, but right. R.F.K. Jr. First yeah. of all, he's not a 20 anymore.
3: He okay. peaked at 20 for a brief yeah. moment until Democrats found out he's not a Democrat. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Then he went. Uh, he, then he dove down. And Marianne got butchered by mainstream media. They mm-hmm. made up things about crystals, et cetera. Yeah. So I love Marianne. I, I mm-hmm. you know, if. If she could somehow break through media, great, wonderful, et cetera. But it's taken a while and she hasn't broken through yet. So we need someone to be super aggressive. And if they, let me ask you this way. If you get, again, someone, anyone, it doesn't have to be progressive, Mm -hmm. gets to 20 or 25, an outsider, right? This whole town panics, and Newsom and Whitmer go in immediately. I, think, I do think Is there's a possibility. Is that right?
2: Of I don't that. know because it already happened with RFK, and they just ignored him and they went after him. And, yeah, know, like that was said, that was down.
3: no, that was before when they were convinced that Biden was going to win, and RFK everybody knew was a flash in the pan because he's not really a Democrat. Maybe,
4: but I, so, Jake, tell me tell me more about your thinking. Yeah timeline what are you weighing right. how serious are you yeah give us the details so,
3: so i already thought about it before and i rejected it because i know what they're going to do mm-hmm. uh you know you're an outsider radical they're going to dredge up things from 1987 <laughs> and when you were a junior in junior high school they already did that to you yeah. i think they did that to you yeah all right. yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah of course and and look if we're being honest the number one problem is mainstream media mm.
6: sure.
3: Ma- mainstream media is the shock troops of corporate politicians, both corporate Democrats and corporate Republicans. Their job is to eviscerate any outsider. So that's why do you think progressives aren't running? I've talked to at least half a dozen progressives and tried to convince them to go in the race. And they're like, I don't want my life ruined. Who's going to ruin their life? Joe Biden? He's in a bunker somewhere. No." It's going to be ABC and NBC and CBS and CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post. They're going to go to any outsider and shred them to pieces. And I'm now so desperate for making sure that we win that I think I'm already destroyed, right? Like, they've already attacked me 10,000 times, right? So come at me, bro. So, Crystal, it's crazy for for me to consider it, right? But that's the times we're in if, like, literally no one else will do it. It's insane. So I don't want to go quietly into that good night. And right now, we are 100% on a track to go quietly into that good night. So
2: what's the timeline, as Crystal said? When are you going to decide?
3: No, look, if if I'm going to do it, if anybody's going to do it, they
4: gotta go now. Yeah, well, it. Are you? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Have you thought about staff? Have you yeah, thought yeah. about a plan? Have you reached? I mean, we know yeah. you know donor networks, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Have you started taking real steps?
3: So, if you're gonna run a campaign this late, you can't go traditional, right? Mm-hmm. You can't be like, oh, I'm gonna collect endorsements from politicians. Oh, and I'm gonna build up my base tiny bit. Of, no, you gotta go and hope for a grassroots tsunami. The good news is, when I ran for Congress, I mean, it was a. Tiny little raise, we raised like 1.3 million in in three months. Uh, I mean, if anybody can raise money, it's me from the grassroots, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm a successful businessman, if I might say so myself. (laughs) I have some credibility in running things, managing things, et cetera. Uh, So have I reached out to staff? I have, Okay. Now, the problem is, everybody thinks, well, how the hell are we going to beat these guys, right? So if I go in, it's going to be threadbare staff, threadbare website. And we're going to see, is there momentum? Because if there isn't momentum and people go, no, 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 Biden, Biden, even if he's in the 20s, I don't care. I don't want, I don't mind losing. I don't mind losing. You're being impolite, which is totally possible, right? So if that's. Yeah,
2: I think there's a decent contingent, though. Yeah, I think that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And if that's the case, then at least I left it all on the battlefield or whoever does it, for God's sake, don't make me do it. Like have someone else run, right? But I can't get anyone to do it. And so I want to leave it all on the battlefield. And I don't want to say, well, like everyone else, I wanted to be polite. So I, we lost democracy because we thought it would hurt Mussolini's opponent's feelings, mm. okay. right? Does anybody remember Mussolini's opponent? I don't, actually. Of Even, course, I no know? one does. Yeah, 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 yeah. No one right does. Here. Damn it. Yeah. Okay. Because Mussolini ran him over. And he probably sat on a couch just like Joe Biden is right now. You guys, we're on a... We're, And I know how mad Democrats get, and I know how mad media gets when you point out an iceberg. But we did it before, we pointed out the Hillary Clinton iceberg, and then they said, you made the iceberg appear. No, you knuckleheads, it's right there. (laughs) The country, the voters despise the establishment. And they're like, so let's pick the most establishment candidates we can, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. Guys, he barely won last time. There's no way he's going to win now, let alone if Cornell West is in the race. And, uh, and Larry Hogan's in the race, and these guys are in the race. Then there's no chance at all. So no, I'm not going quietly into that good night. So somebody better announce before I do. All right. Well, well All right. Me. Well, I never yeah. thought
4: to ask you in yeah. your appearance if you were considering running for president. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad you made the news. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. And guys, definitely check out the book. Um, I think you will not be disappointed. It's very interesting, very thought-provoking, as are you. Always, Jenkins. it's great to see you. And I said this to you privately, but I want to say it uh, to the audience, too. You were there from the beginning helping us build at Rising, and we are always grateful yes, to you absolutely. for you know helping to build up your true believer in terms of independent media and that really shows. So thank you, Jack. I've never Great forgotten,
2: sir. So thank you. Thank you, you very guys. Much. I absolutely. really appreciate you saying that. Absolutely.
4: Yeah, it's our pleasure.
2: We'll see you guys later.
6: But if life changes, you can return it any time or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands.
1: Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.
6: All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts.